Well, let's dive straight into it. What's uh, what's on your mind? Um, so if you, 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 I know you read my my original email to you. So I just wanted to kind of discuss with you the idea that um, you mentioned this a few different times, and I've heard of different people talk about it. How the whole pick yourself up for about about your bootstraps and like um, just work your way through life, regardless of where your past has come from, whether whatever struggles have happened or whatnot, whatever it may be just to keep moving forward, essentially. Um, and uh, I just want to understand kind of the idea of where personal responsibility versus just, um, no, you've had a bad childhood and it's understandable why you can't move forward from that. Like, and let's work through it, maybe visit counseling or whatever it may be. Um, and because I've, I've listened to so many different callers that call you with just very, very bad childhoods and they have, and that's affected their current circumstance in life to the point where they need to re-examine that history and say, this is why where you are now. Now we can look into kind of working forward versus where in my circumstance, I've had a bad childhood and I, I see myself and I'm like, I, I, see, I see the bad past, but I'm where I am now in a very happy and comfortable place in my life. So I understand that's different for every single person. And um, one thing that you've talked about is like, it's hard to compare ourselves to others and the change we see in ourselves is not always reflected in other people. And, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. My thoughts are kind of like all over the place, but that's no, no, it's, kind of... a, it's a big topic and your thoughts are not at all, all over the place. Uh, do you want to tell me a little bit about your childhood and, and what do you think helped save you from that? Yeah. So, um, to go over like basically a rundown from kind of where I think things in my childhood really kicked off was, um, I lived on one side of the country and then we moved later. I won't go into geography because I know you don't want people to talk about that on your, on your show. But, um, I, on, when, before I moved to where I currently am now, when I was little, um, I, I have two older sisters and they're seven years older than me. So it's pretty, pretty stark difference. Um, and then I have, and then both my parents at the time, obviously. And so at the age of four around that time, um, I remember, some older boy in my neighborhood, I was over at his house and, um, he was probably, I look back and he's probably like 14 or 15. Like he was very much older than me. Um, but I was over at his house and he started to want to touch me and he made me touch him. I can't remember the fine details about it all, but I just remember as a kid, I was like, I felt uncomfortable about it, but, uh, but he told me, he was like, Oh, we're just having fun. We're just playing and blah, blah, blah. So I was like, I guess this is what just people do. I guess this is just normal. And, and sorry, so, how old were you again? At that time, I was about four years old, four or five. So I was very, very young. Um, so that was like my first ever molestation experience. At least that's how I, I interpret it as. Um, and he was about 14 or 15. He was much older than me. Well, um, I, I think it's not just uh, an interpretation, is it? I mean, I think it's a fairly apt way to put it that it was a molestation experience right yeah yeah exactly exactly and so that i think um started off a kind of a, a young um sexual curiosity for me and so i remember very shortly after that i would be on the computer probably about i think this was around the first time i became exposed to pornography at a very young age i was probably five or six um and around that time, that's when I started looking into things like um, you just look up stupid stuff when you're a kid, like naked girls and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And so I started to like feed into 
that more curiosity in a very young age. And at this time, um, this is an important detail, um, is that my mom, she was diagnosed with cancer when I was about two years old, one years old. I don't remember how old I was, but it was very shortly after I was born. Um, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. It was stage three. She was supposed to um, pass pretty quickly, but she she fought it for a very long time. And um, we'll, I'll cover that as I kind of go along with the story. But um, then later, um, as about five years old, I was being exposed to pornography very young. And then the whole situation that boy happened. And then I know some other situations wait, wait, happened. Sorry, with sorry. Other... Um, go ahead. Sorry. It was the boy at four, and then afterwards you were looking up pornography, right? Exactly. Okay, sorry. Yes. I just want to make sure of that. And your mother, um, how long did she survive? She survived until I was eight, eight and a half, nine years old, I believe. Let me think. Um, I think it was nine was the exact age that she passed. And um, at the time, um, we we moved across the country, and um, she fought it for a very long time and great support from everybody, but she just couldn't hack it after so long. And um, the the I remember the day she – the week she died, just the week before, or me and my dad, we just got back from a trip. Um, we went to Disneyland, and we got a call from the doctor's office saying – or from the hospital saying – my mom's in emergency care because she fell down and hit her head on the corner of the bed. She was bleeding out everybody and be bleeding out everywhere. And um, she had um, my grandma with her at the time, um, her mom. And so they told us we need to come home really quickly. We're not sure how long she's going to have left. So we came from from our trip early and we went to the hospital. And um, I remember earlier on, my dad had a conversation with me and my sisters, basically telling us at some point you have to tell your mom that you can, you're going to let her go. Like, it's okay for you to move on because she's been struggling for nearly seven years at this point with it. And she's holding on just for you guys. So your mom's suffering. You'll have to tell her to, that she can move on now, that it's okay. And so I remember that stuck in my head at this moment. We went to the hospital and I told my mom in bed, I was like, mom, I love you, but, um, I, I can't bear to see you like this anymore. It's okay. You don't have to hold on for me anymore. And as a little nine-year-old, that's a really hard thing to tell your mom, but, um, I wanted my mom to <laughs> move on to much better place and at least in my view. And, um, so that was kind of a very traumatic experience. She didn't die at that moment. She didn't die in the hospital. The doctors basically told us that she maybe has a couple days to a week to live and we can take her home now. There's really nothing else they can do. So we took her home and then just every day got progressively worse. One day she couldn't, she couldn't move the next day. She couldn't, um, talk. She could like move her fingers a little bit. The next day she couldn't do that at all. Then we were feeding her like the, the sponge of water, like just to drip water into her mouth. And then eventually she passed and all of my family was around to watch it. So that was a very, very, very sad experience, obviously. Um, and so that was happened. I was about nine years old. And um, but yeah, so and then the lead up up to that before with going back to like the, um, the effects of sexual curiosity and different things like that in that nature um years prior from the moment we moved across the country to, to the moment she died different kids in my neighborhood i don't know how or what kind of led into situations but um older kids it was always older kids like probably five six years older than me at the time much older i remember one of them i found them on facebook a few like a year ago two years ago i didn't even realize she was like probably eight nine years older than me so i have no clue how i ended up with these kids but there was probably 
four or five kids in my neighborhood, boys and girls, who are all just wanting to like just do different sexual acts with me or make me do things to them. And they would just tell me it's just for fun. It's just we're playing games like it's okay. So at the time I was like, I don't really like doing that, but I guess if I want to have fun with you guys, and I guess that's what I need to do. But um, and, and it was just it was weird. And so what, they kind of just what sort of age was that for you? That was from the age of five to about eight or eight or nine. At the age of nine, it was pretty much done at that point because it led to different things to happen. But from the age of five to about eight and a half, nine years old to up to when my mom died because it kept happening for a little bit before then. And then it just kind of cut off after that point because um, then we started just moving forward with life in different areas. And so the situation never arose, I guess, at least in that way. Um, so yeah, um, that, that happened with a bunch of different people in my neighborhood and, um, it was, I didn't even really analyze that until I was listening to your show maybe two years ago or a year, three years ago. And I was listening to someone with similar experience to that. And I was like, I didn't even, I didn't even recognize that that was a thing that was going on in my life for so long. Well, that would really explain a lot of weird things that have kind of played out in my life since that point and so and what sort um, of uh, and, and don't obviously talk about anything you're not comfortable with but i'm just curious what sort of sexual or molestation play was going on i mean yeah so it was it'd be simple things or not simple things it's still gross and disgusting but um it'd be things like i remember this one time this this girl and her brother um she wanted me to come over to their house to, to play. And, um, she wanted me to kiss her and do all these different things and touch her vagina and lick her vagina. And that stuff happened. Cause she told me that this is really disgusting. And she told me that her brother was doing it and that it's fine. They don't really mind it. And that, and he was telling me, just do it. Like it's, you'll have fun. It, it tastes great and all sorts of gross things. And so that was probably, one of the more traumatic experiences because um, at the time I was like, well, I don't really want to do that. I just want to, can we do other things? And they just kind of kept pushing me to do it. And they were again, much older than me, probably eight, nine years older than me. So I was like, eventually I just like, okay, I'll, I guess I'll do it. As long as I don't get in trouble. I don't want your parents around. I was probably six, seven at the time. Um, and then later there was a girl across the street who just always wanted me to be kissing her. So nothing like molestation happening that way. As I can recall, um, I guess there was a couple times and she wanted me to touch her butt and her crotch area. Um, and the same thing with a neighbor next door. Uh, her, she was, again, like probably five or six years older than me. Similar things happening there. So I really don't know what led in these situations. Maybe it was my own fault. I maybe I, I really don't remember the exact details Wait, of how I... Sorry, where does the your fault at the age of five or six come into this? I'm... I'm happy to hear the case, but I'm kind of skeptical. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. I agree with you there. So um, I guess not my fault. I just I'm just trying to piece together. But um, but yeah. So, anyways, I apologize. Going back to that situation, those I was put in these situations frequently, and um, I don't. I again, I don't call the exact situations of how I got into it. I just know those things happened. It was very disgusting. It happened with two older boys. They made me kiss them and touch them and all sorts of weird things. I don't know what happened. I'm not sure if I just had like a target on my head saying, hey, this kid will do whatever you want. I really don't know. But it happened with the neighbors in front of me, the neighbors next to me, behind me, up on the street. It was just really, really bizarre. 
And I don't really remember any relationship between all the people. Like they didn't really hang out. The people across the street didn't hang out. The people in the corner. It was just me that was like in the middle connecting everybody together. So, well, um, I'm, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm just. It's an appalling story, and I'm just. I am so sorry. I like. I'm so sorry that that was any part of your childhood. And also, of course, I'm incredibly sorry that you seemed to be like the nexus, like the the vortex of this kind of creepy, nasty, ugly, vicious, exploitive, destructive behavior. And, you know, whether it was because you had a sick mom and therefore you were needier or whether, I don't know, you see the target on your head. I don't know. I mean, the, the fundamental reason why you were targeted is you didn't tell. Yeah, I think that's 100% correct. And I think at the time, I remember this vividly, is that I was afraid to speak out um, because I was, a, I was afraid that like I would get in trouble for it. So there was, I think, what actually ended up having it stop. Now, this actually, now it perfectly comes back to memory how it all ended, was that um, one of the times this kid about my age, and as a matter of fact, he wanted me to just like, he wanted me to kiss him in his garage and so I felt uncomfortable doing it, but I was like, okay, I guess like we're just having fun or whatever. And I was probably eight or nine at the time. Like I said, it all stopped around that time. Um, and then someone caught us and they told my parents. And then my parents like said, you can't hang out with these people anymore. And they, they ended it. So that's actually how it ended. Now it all just came flooding back to me, just me talking through it with you. That's how it ended. Okay, so um, let's just pause there for a sec because, I mean, that's I think kind of key. So you thought you would get in trouble, but you didn't. I did get in trouble. I mean, like I was, I was grounded, so like I couldn't hang out with these people anymore. But that was like well, no, the idea of getting in mean, trouble. That was okay, right? I mean, this was not like it's a, it was some sort of ideal gang that you loved to death, right? I mean, you weren't punished for what was done to you, though, right? Is that is that right? No, not for what I was done. No. Um, well, let me let me think about that first for a second. Um, and to answer the question of like, did I, was I like really close to these people? I think I felt really close with them because they were the first people I had encounters with when I moved across the country. So they're the first people that like introduced to in the neighborhood. So I was like, oh, these are going to be my new friends in my new um, town I'm living in. So this should be nice. Like I have people I can talk to. And then it slowly just went in different directions with each of these individuals. Um, so I felt, I did feel a connection, like friendship with them. Uh, obviously, it was screwed up, and I I didn't realize that until much later. But but, but you, just, weren't, I thought that you was weren't punished, punished, right? Um, out, no, not no, not that I can think of. I mean, the punishment was just I just can't hang out with them anymore. I and I I honestly can't remember if it was like, why would you do that? You're you don't don't be doing those things. Versus, this is disgusting. We're protecting you. I really can't remember. I just know I couldn't hang out with them anymore. Well, were you also concerned that if you were questioned about these activities, that it might lead back to your consumption of pornography starting at five? Um, that's a good question. Holy shit, Steph. I think you're, yeah, you're actually probably right on that one. Because, you know, like, if you feel compromised in some manner, then it's harder yeah, that is to get support from from authority figures, right? Because you're like, well, they're gonna ask, yeah. how did you even know about this stuff, and where did it come from? And oh my gosh, the browser history, whatever, right? I mean, yeah, holy, yep that that nailed it on the head. I didn't even think of that until 
you just brought that up, but that I actually probably remember a conversation with in my head about that was like, it would probably segue into other things like exactly how you just described it. Like, how did you find out about this? What did you do? Like, who's talking to you about this? So that makes perfect sense in my head. So that actually, yeah, I think that's probably the reason why. And I was afraid that I would get in trouble because I, I love playing video games. So I'd, I'd always be on the computer playing video games. If I wasn't with friends, I'd be doing that. Um, so I probably, I was afraid at the time that they would take that away from me entirely, but I couldn't play my games anymore or they just, no more computer time because oh, you're looking oh, yeah. at so pornography. If, if they had found out about your consumption of pornography, then you would have lost computer access, which was the games too, right? Exactly. Exactly. That makes perfect sense to me. So that makes total sense. Um, so yeah, that, that led into, um, the next kind of stage of issues, which I think, I feel like they've affected me more than that. But again, um, definitely that affected me quite a bit. But, um, so after my, um, after my dad and my mom, after my mom died, my dad <laughs> very, very quickly got remarried. Like he was remarried within two weeks. Um, two weeks? Yeah, I think it was like two or three weeks. Tell him he gets some kind of award for a fast forward in in this yeah, life. That's it. Was, we've all well. That mean, I, means most likely that he was having an affair while your mom was dying, right? To be totally honest with you, I don't know, but I wouldn't put it past him because Come I won. On. Oh yeah, you I, gotta have I'm, a side I'm, piece I'm there if you're you. moving that quick. I mean, is, is that fair to say? I I would think so. Um, and this is because I didn't even know this until like just a couple weeks ago when my sister told me that at one point. While my my dad and my mom were married, um, my dad brought a woman over for like my mom to to meet as like when you die, is this a woman that you'd be okay with? So I'm, I wouldn't, I honestly wouldn't doubt it at this point. So because I, I learned about I mean, that, and I was like, that's I, disgusting. Not, I'm not trying to come down hard on the guy. No, I mean, no, you're, you know, you're I'm, because if you've got a wife who's fundamentally dying for for seven or or eight years, and you have kids, and I mean, I don't want to be like, uh, well, he broke his vows. I mean, I guess he did, right? But but that's that's a lot to ask for, for from someone, right? To for no, yes. you know, to to be giving that much emotionally while raising kids. While, like, I mean, that's a lot to ask from. So I like I want to point that out factually, but I also don't want to sit there and you know hurl Zeus thunderbolts of condemnation at your dad because. Uh, he, he may have actually had the permission of, I mean, I guess you did, right? He may have had the permission of your mom to say, because basically the question is not so much, is this a good woman for me? I would imagine that the question he asked your mom is, will this be an acceptable woman to finish raising your kids? Yeah, as I, I want to say that's how it was phrased, but I, I honestly don't know. My dad is a very, very selfish individual, and it's actually led to quite a lot of issues down the road as we'll kind of get into. Um, so I do have something to say, and I, I don't want to interrupt your story, but I also don't want to lose no, it fine. in the sands of time regarding your mom's illness. So I'm, I'm happy to say it now, or, or I can wait, whatever works best no. for you. No, go ahead. Okay. I don't have any medical authority on this. I mean, as you know, I'm a cancer survivor. So I just say that what what I have said in the past regarding this, because you say, well, she fought cancer for seven years, and then she kind of gave up at the end when we could let her go and so on. I don't think any of that is fundamentally true. I, I don't okay. think you fight cancer. I don't think it's a willpower thing. And the reason I say that is because there's lots of people who die very quickly from cancer who have every intention of fighting it as hard as they can and really want to and have every incentive and motive 
but cancer just takes them down in like two months. So, yeah, so your I mom may have had really good doctors. She may have responded really well to surgery or chemo or radiation, but it's not just, you don't, you don't fight cancer. I mean, you can fight a mountain lion, <laughs> you know, that's something external to yeah. your body. But I'm, I'm concerned about this myth or this story that your mom fought and then, you know, you had to let her go. I mean, it's touching, don't get me wrong. And I don't know how much truth there is in it, but I have some skepticism. I mean, when I got cancer, I'm like, I'm going to fight, I'm going to beat this kind of thing. And, but there's no fighting. You, you exercise, you eat well, you go to your treatments and, and you do what, but, and I'm now been clear forever, right? So I'm fine, mm -hmm. but, but other people, they could have got what I got. And then like three months later, they're just dead. And it wasn't like, well, Steph fought and they didn't, you know, that there is just a certain yeah. amount of just, it's the luck of the draw. I got, yeah. I got lucky. I mean, which is a hard thing to say when you get a lump carved out of your neck, but I got lucky and your mom got kind of lucky and I'm just a little bit concerned not so much, I mean, for you as well, but I just for my audience, you know, audience members who listen to this, of course, have had parents or, or grandparents or who have brothers, kids maybe, die of cancer. And I don't want them to think, well, they just didn't fight hard enough. If only they'd fought yeah. harder. And I just don't think, attitude has something to do with health, but it's not just a matter of willpower. And I just wanted people to, to sort of understand that. I was lucky, no. your mom was medium lucky, and other people are just really freaking unlucky. And you know, I don't know that willpower is the deciding factor. Yeah, I, I, told, I would agree with you there. And the reason I say that is because um, that's actually something that's not made a whole lot of sense in my mind is because, like, I come from a very strong religious community. And that's one thing they always say is, like, well, God, like, um, helped and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me because I'm like – I don't want to believe in a God who picks and chooses who lives and who dies because that gives him a lot of power that I don't feel comfortable with because why did my mom eventually die? Why didn't she die to begin with? Why, why do some people live and some people don't? That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So my, I my mom is still going strong and your <laughs> mom ain't. And exactly. uh, it's, you know, I, I, I don't like this, uh, this picky, choosy, livy-die stuff, and I really don't like the willpower stuff, which is not, again, I don't want to say, like, attitude is completely irrelevant and just you got to yeah. lie back and see what cancer does to you or some illness, but, and I know that this comes from a religious mindset, and it, it has some value, like, you, you want to fight, you want to be optimistic, you... But man, sometimes that beast just claws people down and there's nothing they can do. And it's not because I just, you know, people are out there. It's like, well, my mom died from breast cancer in three months. I guess she didn't fight that hard or she didn't want to. Yeah. You know, like, and it's like, no, it's just sometimes your body is able to fight back. And sometimes yeah. your body ain't. And I, you know, it's sometimes the cancer is really aggressive and sometimes it's really strong and sometimes you don't respond to medication and. You know, it's not just, well, this person clawed their way back out of their coffin and back into life. And, and I don't, mm -hmm. I mean, I've got a lot of willpower, but I'm not going to sit there and say, well, the reason I'm cancer-free is I just wanted it more. I mean, everybody wants it. Everybody wants to be cancer-free when you're cancer. Your mom wanted it. I wanted it. I happened to make it. Your mom didn't. And I don't want to throw her under some kind of existential bus of willpower or, you know, she just didn't want it as much as me. And, and, and now, again, that haven't been said, you know, if you're really stressful life and, you don't have any support, but you said she got a lot of support. And, you know, that probably helped, but um, I just, sorry, just wanted to, to touch on that because that's, uh, I, I remember wrestling a lot with that and, and talking about that with people. Uh, like, I was like, oh, cancer's not going to get me, and it didn't. And 
I can't own that. I mean, I, I think it helps to, to be that positive, um, but I can't, you know, and, and the, the messages that listeners sent in about, you know, don't die, we need you, you know, we love you, we, we, we want your show, and it's, it was wonderful and lovely and, and certainly helped, and, 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 but it's just not willpower. I just, yeah. Yeah, I would agree with you there. I guess, um, I guess the idea, like, fighting for me comes more just – she just we just kept trying to find new solutions to deal with what have happened and kind of work through it as best we could because um, at the beginning as, as I said she was only given a few months to live and then she we got the proper treatment I don't remember I think it might have been John Hopkins um, Hospital but I, I can't remember the exact one on the East Coast that we went to but it was a very prestigious hospital and she goes so she got very quickly got treated given more time to live and then her next treatment came and then more time and so on and so forth until eventually it was just like nothing else could be done at this point so i guess you're definitely right there was like it's not just like a matter of willpower like she just put more effort into it than the next person down the street but um but yeah so i agree with you there that makes it sense so i mean it also has something to do with um uh maybe intelligence and so on i assume my mom is intelligent because some of the some of the regimens for medication are pretty complicated uh and you you really have to you know take the pills at the right time and if people forget i mean there's lots of different things that that go into it but i just wanted to touch on that because that's it's a touching story i mean don't get me wrong you know like she held on for us and it's like yeah but the you know but when she was sent home with a week to live i don't think she could have willed another year yeah i i agree with you there and yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense to me. Okay, so yeah. I just I just want to touch on that, but um, and this thing, this you know, listen, the pornography stuff um, around childhood. When I when I was growing up in the seventies, there was like pornography all over the neighborhood. Now it's before the internet, obviously, long before the internet. Pornography all and and like, you know, call, call me old fashioned, but there's pornography that is normalish, you know, like just sexuality and then there's pornography that is just creepy af like just nasty yes. nasty mean ugly stuff and you know there was there was the i guess mainstream and then there was like this like i didn't you know people would want to show it i'd be like i know i know oh, my eyes they burn like i want everything to do with it and it really was this this hypersexualization of kids I don't know. It's it's really it's a big deal. I don't know. W- were there a lot of single moms around your neighborhood? Um, no, actually, that's it was kind of the opposite. I mean, everyone in the neighborhood, except with the exception of like maybe one couple, was divorced. So actually, a very very so high. Everyone, you said everyone in the neighborhood, with the exception of one couple, was divorced. Do you mean? I'm you sorry. Mean the opposite, I mean the opposite right? way around. Yeah, the opposite. Okay, no I apologize. Yeah. So um, everyone in the neighborhood was married except for one couple. Um, and we didn't really talk to them a whole lot. I mean, they were just kind of neighbors, like say hi across the street from, but that was about it. Um, it so that wasn't, there was, and I'm sorry to interrupt. So it could be that there had been one really nasty babysitter who'd come through the neighborhood, who'd kind of planted these ugly seeds. It could be that there was one family where there was uh, child sexual abuse and then that's how it spread. Uh, it, it is almost like a virus, if, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I think I heard about something actually happening with the neighbors behind me who was the first people that exposed me to it where um, I think something where either one of their relatives or family friends, something happened with the daughters where they were doing something. I really don't know the details, but it's probably 
maybe along the lines of what you're talking about, but I could see that being a case, definitely. Well, and, and that's important for, for people to remember that, and as you point out, this was, I guess, a fairly affluent neighborhood, uh, intact families, uh, religious, uh, and so on. And, you know, even still, all of this stuff was happening in basements and garages and so on, that as a parent, it's really, really, really important to remember this is the lesson that we can get out of some of the tragedies of your childhood, which is not turning it into good, but getting the most good out of it. It's just it's really, really important to remember that there's a lot of child sexual abuse out there, and it doesn't take much for it to spill over into your environment, into your household, onto into your children. Right? Yeah, it's like exactly. what is it? Like one out of three girls, one out of five boys. Uh, I remember reading different studies between forty and sixty percent of black girls are sexually molested by black men before they turn 18. Ugh. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it is a, it's a big issue in the Hispanic community and it is just out there and it is, uh, it's like wildfire. I mean, it just <clears throat> can go right through a neighborhood. And as you can see, it can, can burn people's childhoods to the ground. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I, I, I don't know the exact, but I can see that definitely being the case in my neighborhood specifically, how it started with one, and then they got some ideas, and then something happened with the next. I, but yeah, that that makes perfect sense to me entirely. But yeah, and then you end up with this separate world of children and adults. And I mean, there's so much that's that's damaging about it. But one of the things that's particularly damaging is you end up leading this double life. You you know your your, your dad says, oh, what did you play or what did you do? And you just have to make something up because you know you know as you say you don't want to get your access to porn and video games taken away. And so you end up with this false existence and you end up not being able to be honest or direct with your with, with anyone, right? Because you, you don't talk about this with anyone. And that cult of secrecy is, I think, particularly destructive. Yeah, I, I think you're definitely right because what had happened at the time, and it wasn't even um, as hard of a, as a thing with pornography. I remember pornography being like, I just get curious and be like, ooh, what is this? And then like it would just... Like little things would just come up. It was more like a, I really love playing video games. Actually, a porn, a hard. I had a hardcore porn addiction that started a little bit later, um, and that was. I'm still addicted to porn, but I've been clean for quite a while now. But it's it's a. It's and when a you say bitch. hardcore, do you mean in terms of the grip or the content? Um, both. So it's it was like, it happened probably like it started to pick up pretty heavily. Um. I think around ninth grade or 10th grade. So early high school years. Um, that's probably around the time it started picking up. And I remember it was just like once, a, once a week and I was involved with masturbation as well, obviously. So it was just once a week and then it turned into like, well, uh, a couple times a week. And then to the point where it just became every day. And then it was like six or seven times every day all the time and i couldn't like function until i had my fix a few times a day like it just became very gripping and the content thereof was just hardcore pornography like when you were talking about like um certain pornography that people see i remember like there were certain there's certain types of porn out there that i would just i could had to turn my eye to they were just horrible for me and those were always the ones that involved like like those bondage situations or women being hit or beaten i could never watch that stuff that made me so that made me sick i mean porn's already sick and disgusting but i don't know it kind of sounds weird that like an addict has a boundary they don't want to cross and that was kind of like my boundary 
Um, it's like, I don't want to ever get into that stuff. That's just too vile for me. I don't like seeing women get hurt or beaten. That makes me feel sick. So, um, but yeah, so that was really, really hardcore, um, for quite a while, for probably about a year. It was just constantly and it rewired my brain. Like I just, I literally couldn't like think properly. Like my brain was just cloudy when you watch porn, any addiction, obviously, but like with porn, like you literally just feel your brain just rewiring itself as you watch it. Um, you just get like slight migraines or headaches, at least for me, that's how it felt continuously until I had my fix. And then I could like almost feel the chemical imbalances start to take place in my brain as like, it just filled in with all this, um, just ecstasy feelings and whatnot. It was just, it's really gross. And so that had a hard strain on me for quite a while. Um, and then it kind of, it started to die off actually about the same time I started to become friends with my now wife. It started just like dissipate around that same time. Um, we were just friends at the time, but then it started to just, I started hanging out with her more often and it just like, it, it stopped for some reason. Like I just, it was still a fight, but it was a fight. I felt like really kind of pushing the front lines for, and I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't, this is such a struggle for me. I can't focus and be a normal person. <laughs> so, but anyways, you're about to say something. Yeah, no, no, I, I appreciate, I appreciate that. Now, when you met the woman who became your wife, uh, how long did you? How long were you friends before you started dating? We were friends for about six, seven months. About that time, and we were hanging out almost daily. Like she just, we both, we both moved into the neighborhood at about the same time. And this was like in my the summer of my or the my junior year. I moved into this this new neighborhood, and then that summer, and then she moved in around the same time. And then, like, I just met her in my my local church because we just went to the same place. And so, um, the first day I met her, I was I just like, I just felt this thing about her. She was just she just felt great. And I was like, this this chick is awesome. I'm not sure what it is about her, but she just has a personality. I just I'm drawn to. She was very fun, very open, um, and just made people feel like they're best friends as soon as you met them. So I just wanted to talk to her, and so we just started being friends. I, I had no feelings for her at the time like no at least romantic feelings. Um, and she didn't have any feelings for me. We were both dating separate people entirely. Um, and so it was just very normal. Like we just kind of hung out and nothing ever happened. Um, and so we just hung out frequently, became really, really good friends. Um, I was in a very, very toxic relationship with my now ex-girlfriend at the time. Um, and that relationship was going on for like three years. It was like started in um, she was like the most bland human being you could possibly meet. <laughs> like she just, you couldn't speak honestly with her. Um, I wanted to have deep conversations. I want to talk about real things, but she was just very bland, but she was very good looking. So as a teenage boy, I was just, that's all you care about. So that's all I was stuck on. Um, and so I just couldn't get over her. She had like, at one point she had feelings for me. And so I just kind of gripped onto that. And then we just started dating so it was it's just very have, like you. You have this um, this kind of cliche. It's it's a weird kind of bragging right that women have these days about being a hot mess. You know, like I'm <laughs> I'm insane, but I'm so hot that women mm-hmm. like men will still want to date me. She's sweet, but she's psycho. Yeah, exactly. And it's funny because the hot mess is kind of a cliche, but the hot yawn is something that's not quite as 
talked about. And I remember once being in a seminar and kind of walking with this woman who was the prettiest woman by far in this group of, I don't know, like a couple of hundred people. And I was walking with her and we were chatting. Um, we went to have uh, some lunch. To, I asked her out for lunch. We went to have some lunch. And the whole time I'm like, please be interesting. Pl- please. You're so pretty. Please. <laughs> Throw me a bone here. Make make a joke of some kind. Have some knowledge about something or other. You know, anything mm-hmm. like that. And she was just like, oh, you know, the hot yawn. You know, it's like, yeah, you're pretty, but whew. I mean, the only reason I'd kiss you is to stop, stop you talking. Because, <laughs> you know, what comes out of your mouth is a slow, steady drip of banal treacle. And the hot <laughs> yawn is something that is a little bit underappreciated. But, but that's not usually considered toxic. But... Um, for you, you used the word toxic, which I think is interesting because boredom is usually not considered toxic. Well, see, the, what happened was is that the reason I use the word toxic is because it was a bad relationship for both of us. When I first met her, um, she would lie to her parents all the time. Like it was even about like stupid things that I'm like, why are you lying about that? That makes no sense to lie about it. Just speak honestly. But there's no reason for you to lie about um, who you had lunch with versus who you didn't have lunch with but like, even like simpler things than that it was just like, it's hard to come up with an exact example no but no she i don't lie about mean, everything it's, it's the people who are so dedicated to lying that they'll never give up a chance to practice exactly exactly and so i tried to like break that out of her as best i could i was like no just tell your mom the truth like there's no reason to lie about it you're not going to get in trouble like there's nothing for you to hide about this exact situation so just be honest with her and so after a while that kind of like broke out of her um, and at least from my understanding, she's already more honest, but, um, it was, that's what kind of like led into this. I should have, that's obvious red flags, but teenage boys, I was just a teenage boy and I just stuck on this girl cause she was pretty. You got, um, you got dick napped. I mean, it's, yeah, it's exactly. a common phenomenon. Yeah. And so it was, and then it just led into just like a very physical relationship, just kissing, touching. We never like had um, sexual intercourse, like penis, vagina, but it was definitely like oral sex. That stuff happened definitely. Um, and it just, it was very, very physical relationship. There's no real emotions to it whatsoever. I wanted to think there was real um, emotions. That was the imprinting you had from your early molestation experiences, right? Yeah. That you don't quote, go all the way, but there's this sexual play, right? Yeah. Wow, I, I didn't even consider that. That's that's yeah, that's exactly how it would make sense. And you also so, had the imprinting that you use people, not you, right? But but that one uses people for sexual gratification, and you don't really care about the other person's feelings or needs or preferences, right? Because you said earlier that the kids would say to you. Oh, it's fine. You know, we'll we'll just do this, and and you were like, well, I don't really want to. Can we do something else? And they just kept being insistent, right? Mm-hmm. So you would have that imprinting that sexuality is like a feral need that you indulge at, even at the expense of other people's preferences. And and again, I'm not accusing you, obviously, of doing anything untoward, but this no, idea yeah, that fine. sexuality would be bound up with virtue and love and and commitment and family and kids. I mean, that's not anything that you were. I mean, I hate to say the word exposed to because it's got all those connotations, but anything that you experienced when you were uh, very young. Yeah, that that makes perfect sense to me because and the, the fact that you brought out the word like commitment and like um, it actually like has your relationships more than just physical, essentially, 
that makes perfect sense because that's how after my mom died when my dad got remarried right away that's exactly how i saw it is that and this is how this is a problem my dad has and it's actually it's hurt our relationship quite a bit and i'm not sure what to do with our relationship at the moment to be totally honest with you because of these certain situations that i've come to grips with in my now years <laughs> but um after he got remarried um he just immediately jumped to this pretty blonde woman that lived next door to us and like you said next door to you because i i get the feeling that you're surrounded by this moat of creepy molesty family kids <laughs> but not in that circle of hell right yeah yeah so she lived i didn't even know her i didn't even know this family lived next door to us to be totally honest with you until um until this situation at which I knew everyone else in the neighborhood, the kids behind me, the kids next to me, across the street, on the corner, everywhere, except for this family next door, where I don't know if they suddenly just like moved in. I really don't remember. But they my dad got remarried to her in a heartbeat. And this was at the time when I needed my dad most. And my sisters were old enough where they moved out of the house at this point. So and my my stepmom at the time, she had five kids. Um Four of them ended up living – or three of them, four of them? I think three of them. I want to say three. Three of them lived with us, and so it was just me, my dad, um, my stepmom, and her three kids. And my stepmom, she just – or my ex-stepmom, she just – she would neglect me like heavily, heavily. I know I know you kind of talked about this as this has been a situation for you as well as you talk about this as like a, a form of abuse that's not like very well talked about. Um, but she – she neglected me. She would lie all the time about everything I would do to my dad to the point like when I first met her, I called her mom like um, just because I wanted to like accept someone else into my life that like is going to replace the role of my my mother. And so nine year old me, I was like just really open, accepting and I wanted to 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 get to know her better. And I was like, hi, mom, like I love you and just just treat her complete openness and just fondness. Um and now that I think about it, I was eight at the time because my dad would lose his job this year during the whole 2008 recession. And so this actually was a, a problem for her. So this is exactly what you talked about in the past with women that they just want a, a man to kind of like take control and just be just kind of – they want resources. And that was kind of how she was essentially. She just wanted resources. That's at least how I see it. Well, your stepmom was a liar and your first serious girlfriend was also a liar. Yeah. Yep. They, when I think back at it, they had some similarities, definitely. That's definitely one of them. Just pathological lying consistently. And so she was a narcissist. She was never in the wrong. Um, and so for me, she would just lie about everything I would do. And she would tell my dad that um, he was picking on my son because she had a little, she had a son that was two years younger than me, three years younger than me. And then she had a son that was, um, seven years older than me or six years older than me and then a daughter who was about the same age six years older than me so um and so she would just lie to my dad all the time about every little thing i would do it would just be she picked on um him for this reason she did he did this to blah 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 and she would just make up these stories and i remember one time like i called her out on it in front of my dad i was like that didn't happen. Like, what are you talking about? And she just, you know, that happened. Don't lie to your father. And I'd be like, I, I, I don't know what to say. I've never really come across a situation. So I just kind of like zipped my lips and I was like, okay, 
because I remember the next time she pulled me aside after these conversations, she'd be like, if you tell your dad what happened, um, you're going to be grounded longer. If you lie to your dad, you're going to be grounded. And so I just learned to shut up. I was like, fine, I don't want to be grounded because when she would ground me, she would just ban me to my room. And the only time I could come out was for dinner or she would just leave it in my room or she'd just let me go to the bathroom. That was it. So I spent quite a long time just in my room or um, I mean, that's worse, that's in the bathroom. Like worse than house arrest. It's like room arrest, right? Yeah. And so this is actually where I don't know where my father was. Um, and so this is something I genuinely like, – I know my dad was there because at this time, shortly after my, – because my mom died in April. And then they got remarried like in the beginning of May. My dad got remarried in the beginning of May. Then my dad lost his job in November or October after the whole housing crisis kind of went down. And um, then when he lost his job, I remember her attitude flipped a switch. And she – I remember before she was kind of okay with me, and then that happened, and she was like, no, I'm not okay with this kid. Well, it's like, a very a primitive thing, parasite. right? And the primitive thing is this, that she's willing to have – not her child in the house as long as there are enough resources to go around. But when your dad loses his job, the resources contract, and she's like, oh, throw this one over the over the edge of the boat, right? We're running low in the water. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. It just, yeah, like she kind of would shoot, and that was exactly apparent in her behavior because she would completely, obviously, obviously favor her kids over me, and she would just do anything to keep me away from them. Even though I was trying so hard to be good with them i wanted to be friends with them because i saw them as family i was like we're, we have a new family oh, but gee, i can here's the thing and this is where i guess the question with your dad comes in i'm sorry to interrupt but no you're it's fine not, it's not that she's favoring her kids it's that she's doing what most people do they're doing what they can get away with and she knew that she had your dad by the short and curlies for whatever reason could be sexuality could be i don't know what right but but the reality is that she knew that she was able to get away with being neglectful of you or punishing of you or harmful towards you. I mean, what the hell was going on yeah. with your dad that you're spending half the year locked in your room, not like only being able to go to the – like what the hell? Yeah, this is – I don't know honestly. Um, this is where I, I sent in my email that like I, my dad abandoned me and I used that term – um, and I wanted to like explain it more in detail. This, this, if this came up, was just I, I don't remember if my dad like was like literally not in the house, but I yeah, felt like, I, yeah, well, because my dad was kept trying to find a job, so like he would work random jobs just to do anything to make ends meet. So like he worked like a landscaping job. He worked um, just outside of Walmart. He started doing real estate. But the worst time to do real estate. No, she didn't show because she was. She would get four grand a month in um, life support or life um, life insurance because her previous husband died. So her kids that were living in the household. <laughs> she sounds like the kind of character where you say her previous husband died. I'm like, really? <laughs> really? Yeah. Did he die after eating a meal his wife prepared for him? I, but honestly, <laughs> this is where my mind goes. Probably is completely unfair, but I'm just like, yeah. It seems You're like probably, a pretty cold, cold woman. I. I honestly, I mean, I, that that does definitely come to my mind as well for that exact same situation. I mean, because then she got remarried and had a kid with him, and then divorced him right away, and has got, gotten a bunch of just like um, wait, she wait, she uh, had child with your dad and then divorced him. No, my dad. Sorry, um, she before my dad, she got got remarried after her original husband died, and then she had a kid with 
her new husband at that time. And then they divorced soon afterwards. And then she just started getting life or child support from him. Um, so I think that was what she was trying to do with my dad was have a kid. Um, they didn't have any kids, luckily. Um, and but, I'll tell you, so let me just, tell you, I just told sort of station break for just a sec here, because this is an important point. Women have a lot of wonderful and, and great virtues. But one thing that men really need to get through their heads is that women are resource maximizers, resource extractors. Now, that's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, but women in general, and exceptions, but women in general will operate on fairly mammalian principles of resource maximization, resource extraction. Now, this can be wonderful. Like if if your woman is is loves you and, and is bonded to you and wedded to you, and then her maximum resource consumption comes in the form of helping drive your career and having you go out yeah. and, and fight. And, you know, like this behind every great man is a good woman, then she's driving him there, you know, partly out of love and all of that, but a lot out of resource maximization. Men tend to deal a little bit more in terms of just straight up honor, and that's because we're out there fighting with each other, and you know maybe not so much today, but certainly as as we evolved. Mm-hmm. And so when when women say when, when women put forward principles in general, it is around resource maximization. And I'll give you the perfect example of this, which is if you look at right wing women, um, free market women, MAGA women, conservative women, they tend to be. Uh, physically attractive and and more so mm-hmm. than women on the left the, the sort of feminists and you know the traditional pear-shaped women in comfortable shoes and so on mm-hmm. and so that's pretty pretty easy to understand and this is not to say that they don't have great arguments and they're not honorable women but when you kind of look down at it at mm-hmm. the reality that the, the the pretty women can get the highest earning men right your daddy's rich your mama's good looking so the fact that pretty women are into the free market and minimal government is simply because they can get more resources for men in the free market because of their looks. Interesting. Whereas if you look at the left-wing women, they're not physically attractive in general. and Or, or if they are, they're insane, and therefore no man will stick with them for long and certainly won't marry them. Mm-hmm. And so they say, well, we care about the poor, and we want redistribution, and we care about the children, and we want a big social safety welfare net, and so on. It's like, well, it's not complicated. They get more resources from the state than they would from a man. Exactly. And so if you the- look at that... It's not that hard to figure out. The good-looking women want the free market because it will maximize their resource access, and the less attractive women want the government because it will maximize their resource access. There's kind of a common thread there, right? And so for the most part, and, and listen, it's, it's not a huge amount more than of women than of men, but when men talk about principles, I will listen to them maybe 3% more than when women talk about principles because in general, <laughs> when women talk about principles for reasons I've gone into before, and again, mm-hmm. I have no moral issue with this. This is exactly how we survived and flourished as a species and women have resources, have resource requirements if they're moms in particular that, that men don't, at least not as immediately. So, yeah, so that's interesting. So your dad, of course, married a woman and took on paying to some degree, for her three kids, although you say she was getting four grand a month in uh, life insurance, so annuity or something like that, right? Quite a bit of cash. Yeah. So she was, and the fact that that's basically what, to my understanding, supported us for the most part of that entire experience was that, because my dad wasn't holding a job just because um, he was an architect. Man, so you're, you're, you're feeding off the dead like cannibals. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so my he was just wouldn't, couldn't find a job. Um, but I know he was, I don't remember him around. Like I, I just, I, 
to my understanding, at least how I remember it, he was just out looking for a job and he had a few jobs for quite a while, eventually landed something much later, like as an architect, because that was his original job, but he couldn't find any architecture jobs. Um, yeah. Funny thing about a housing crash when, you know, what, what was it like in some places, 20, 30, 40% of the housing stock was empty. It was unlived in 10%, I mm-hmm. think overall. And yeah, not, not a lot of building new houses when people are getting kicked out of their existing ones, right? Yeah, exactly. And so that was that led to obviously there he couldn't find anything in his specific and he had a master's degree from a prestigious university from and, and he still couldn't do anything. So and I remember him always trying. Um, I don't remember him being like just lounging around and being lazy, but I, I don't remember him in this time. Like I, I felt like he abandoned me. So that's how my mind interprets it is just he abandoned me because um, my stepmom was, was always constantly lying about me, getting me in trouble, controlling my every move, my every action, um, and I just could never do anything. And I finally was like red pilled to it in a way because one summer, every summer, every summer I would go down to um, well back to where we came from, which on the other side of the country, on the East Coast, and live with my with my grandparents. So every summer I would just go back and visit them. I'd spend time with my family back there, and so that was like a massive just great great escape from just the craziness at my my dad's house with my my ex-stepmom um just because she'd always be grounding me so one summer i remember and i think this is when my dad started to wake up as well as that i got i had all a's and i had a an f in a music class and the f it was by one point i had like a 64 and you need a 65 to pass but i had all a's in this one f in this class and so when i got a bad grade um, my stepmom, she would ground me and seclude me to my room. So this summer, um, she was fighting with my dad over this. And my dad was like, no, I want my, my son to go visit his grandparents. Like he needs this. I want him to go. He looks forward to this every year. And she's like, no, he had a bad grade. She won, didn't want you to go uh, to just punish me. That's no. how I see it. No, no, no. Now the reason she didn't want you to go is because you might have, told what was going on in the household uh right it's all, yeah. I mean, she, no forget the punishment i mean no she she does because she had a good relationship with your grandparents so she was afraid that you would go to your grandparents and your grandparents would say how's life how are things mm-hmm. how's the new stepmom what's what's going on what's new how's she treating you and you know they eventually might get it out of you and then who do they call they would call either her or my dad definitely well, they call your like, dad what? i'd assume right yeah. And, and then like, they'd say to your dad, listen, do you know what's happening to your son? I mean, he's been half locked in his room like some animal. And that is basically exactly what had happened. So that makes... Yeah. So that's yeah. that's why she didn't want you to go. It's nothing to do with punishment. No, no. It's nothing to do with punishment. It's just this strategic move. Yeah. It's like something you pointed out to me. I'm not sure. I can't remember if you made the comparison to your mom or someone else's, but um, you've always said that like um, the woman, she wasn't... Um, how how you word it? You, she said that she was not crazy because being crazy, she would act the same in front of other people. Yeah, well, but no, she, and also people who are strategic aren't crazy. Like one of the saddest exactly. summers I ever had was when I was 12 and my mother went to Germany and my brother went elsewhere. And I was stuck with a friend of mine's grandparents who I didn't know for like a couple of months in the summer. And I mean, it was it was terrible. I mean, it was boring. The, 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 the grandmother was ill and, and I couldn't make any noise and they didn't have any time for me. And I was just kind of 
looking around in this apartment and, uh, you know, I, I went to the library all the time. I did a huge amount of reading, but it was a very, and I, you know, I had nothing, I remember walking down the street with this, this guy, this, this grandfather of some friend of mine. And, you know, we had so little to say that I, I saw across the street, the word donut, you know, it's spelled D-O-U-G-H-N-U-T, but this was of course, you know, D-O-N-U-T, right? And I said, oh, it's interesting that, you know, they, I guess to make, make the letters bigger on the sign, they take out half the letters or maybe their clientele doesn't know how to spell donut or something like that. It's just, <laughs> this is how sad it was trying to make a conversation with this guy. Now, of course, looking back on it 40 years later, I mean, the poor guy was, his wife was dying and he was, I don't know why on earth they took me in. I mean, I didn't know them from Adam and I never saw them again. But uh, I, I'm talking to him about this donut sign. He just looks at me like, like I'm speaking Klingon and he says, you want a donut? Like, no, I don't want a donut. I'm just, I don't know what to say to you. Yeah, you're like, that just went completely over his head. Yeah, I mean, and it was a very odd summer. But of course, the reason, my, my brother was sent to relatives. And the reason, of course, that I wasn't sent to relatives is we might talk about what was going on in the household, which is why we had to be separated. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's exactly what happened with me. And this is kind of when um, I think it just, the exposure started to occur. And at first, my dad was like, resistant to it i think you wanted to think that that's not how it was to begin with because i we went down about? the exposure where did, where did, this did you end up going um, to your grandparents yes so okay. yeah exactly so what had happened is that i went to my grandparents eventually my dad convinced her because her plan and this is eventually what happened when i got back was that her plan was that for the entire summer because i failed my music class is that she would lock me in my room and i had to basically study bach and mozart and beethoven exclusively for the entire summer in my room. So, um, and that was her plan. And so it was carried out later when I got back from the, my summer vacation. How um, old were you at this time? I think I was 11 at this point. So why on earth would you, I mean, at the age of 11, your, well, the adults in your life, your dad and your stepmom should be tracking your progress. They should be asking you how things are going. They should be talking to your teachers and your teacher would come along and say, hey, he's having real trouble in this music class. And they'd be, okay, well, let's figure out what we can do. Like, it's not, it's not, mm-hmm. you don't own that F at the age of 11. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't remember that ever No, of course it didn't happening. happen, right? So, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this idea that, well, you, you just, you got this F at the age of 11 in complete isolation from any parental or adult input, and therefore you must be punished. I mean, that's yeah. psychotic when it comes to just basic responsibility. I didn't, I didn't even think about that until you just pointed that out, but that would, I, I don't know why that didn't register. Obviously, just stupid parenting all around. No, I mean, it's not the, stupid parenting. It's abusive parenting. And she yes. also may have been showing, like... One one kid is sometimes picked out, can be a biological kid, but in your case it was not. So one kid is is singled out, like the Cinderella story, right? You've got the two girls, and then you've got Cinderella, and Cinderella is kneeling in the dirty ashes and scrubbing crap and bringing people's underwear out in, in the back 40 mm-hmm. or whatever. And, and the reason why one child is picked out and abused is to keep the other kids in line, right? I mean, like, like why are some people banned from social media? Well, so everyone else is like, oh, I better not talk about, uh, right? I mean, it's a mm-hmm. warning to everyone else, so... She was probably also using you as a proxy whip over her own children, which is like, hey, this is what I'm capable of, so you better stay in line, kids. Interesting. I didn't view it that way because um, she treated her kids like they were gods. Like, they could do no wrong. She loved them. They were just perfect angels. Like, even 
they would, um, I remember her older son, this is actually probably when my pornography addiction actually really started her older son. He brought me to his room and he made me watch just like lesbian porn in his, on his, um, uh, PlayStation or his Xbox or something with him. And he, so he just kept watching it with me and then he got me in trouble for watching porn. Um, and I, I was trying to tell them like, Hey, this happened. Like he was the one to expose me to it and she just wouldn't have it. She's like, Nope, my, my son is perfect. He would never do such a thing. And so I was like, are you kidding me? Like we were bonding over something obviously disgusting, but the first time I felt like you were, this was her older son. He was seven years older than me. So like the first time I feel like you're trying to like reach out to me, obviously it's something gross, but you go and stab me in the back for something you did. And then just things like that. They were just, they would, they would act very much like her, very, very manipulative, very gross to me. Like her youngest son, who was a couple years younger than me, he would just anything over any stupid little thing you could think of. He would just start crying and blame it on me and be like, did this thing to me? He did this thing to me. How dare he? And and then she would just come to his aid and be like, oh no, like how dare you do this to my son? And just, just find more reasons to just abuse me. And they were just going along with it. I was the bad guy. And I was trying so hard to be with them. I was like, why do you guys hate me so much? I don't know what I did to deserve this treatment from you guys. But it just it was just like that from the very beginning. One time her older son, he put a an airsoft gun point blank in my eye and shot me in the eyeball. And I was literally blind God, for quite a now? while. Yeah, I'm not even joking. Um he had an airsoft gun. This is he like pointed an directly from a Christmas story. He shot you in the <laughs> eye with an air gun? Yeah. With Point blank. Like, I'm not, I'm not oh exaggerating God. that. You were bloody lucky. I mean, I hate yeah, to say I, lucky, but, you know. I, I remember it um, perfectly is that I was shot, and I was like, I started crying. I was like, frick, and I couldn't see anything. I was like, I'm literally blind. I'm like, I'm going to be blind. And he's like, don't tell my mom. Don't tell my mom. Don't tell my mom. Like, I didn't do anything. This was, this was your fault. And he started like, explaining how it was my fault. And I was like, dude, you were holding the gun. You shot me point blank in the eye. How's this my fault? And he's like, don't you say anything. Like, it's your fault. And so I just kept rubbing my eye and just like I was just sitting in the corner just shutting up because I just learned to shut my mouth. And I was like, can't speak out. Don't say anything. It'll just make it worse. I'll get more trouble. So I just I just kept rubbing my eye until eventually the BB fell out of my eye. And I was like, oh, I can see again. <laughs> it was very it was a moment Wait, of relief. It was like a, the shot in your eye. Yeah, because it was a BB gun. Um, and so the, the BB from the BB gun got and lodged into my eye, like the back of my eye. And so there's just so you you couldn't even say like get me to a hospital or wow no I mean it was because that would get him in trouble and so I didn't want to and how old were you I, then I was about the same age like a 10, 11, 12 range yeah yeah 10, so basically like I mean you could have been shot and blinded and this is the I mean this is, this is a war zone right like you're you're in a war zone like no kidding. Like, this is how you're going to experience it physiologically, right? Like, you're in a war zone. Like, there's IEDs yeah. around. You can get shot and blinded. Like, that's where you are. Yeah. And that's that's exactly how I I, felt. I didn't even this, – this is the weird part is that at the time, I don't know if I – I guess I was just heavily manipulated to think I was in the wrong. So at the time, I remember thinking, like, I must have just done something. It was my fault. Oh, no, no, no. Like, no, I no listen, okay, okay, okay. You need to have more respect for yourself. Which is, you weren't manipulated into thinking that you were wrong. You had to think that you were wrong, otherwise, worse things would have happened. Ah, uh, yeah, right. Duh. I mean, and it's easier to internalize those lies than it is to know that you're 
being wrong than not in the wrong and constantly have to reaffirm that. Like, don't, don't, don't insult your younger self by, oh, you're so easy manipulated. Just listened, believed all this stuff. No, no, no. You, you, you believe what you have to say. You say what you say in order to survive. And, yeah, and it, again, as a kid, it's easier to internalize those beliefs because it provides a more seamless bulletproof armor to try and evade the next piece of insane half-sibling or step-sibling shrapnel that's coming your way. So no, 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 you didn't believe any of that stuff. But you had to believe it. Uh, otherwise, uh, punishments might have escalated to the point where you could have been permanently injured or even killed. That, that makes perfect sense. And I, I, thinking back, that's probably exactly how I felt. Looking back at it now, that's definitely how I would interpret it as just, now that you say it that way, is that obviously if I, because that was a situation is that if I didn't feed their lies, if I tried to expose the truth in any way, I'd be more grounded. I'd just be more in trouble. I'd be locked in my room longer. And they're just, Look, again, you it's just a lot of the house who's willing to shoot you in the eyeball. And then the first thing he thinks about is how to protect his own ass rather than get you to a freaking hospital. Yeah. So and he you was are in a, a you're in a, um, a wounding slash mortal situation. Uh, this is, again, it's a war zone. And, and what you're searching around for is anyone who has any sympathy whatsoever. I mean, that's what we're all scanning for. If we're being abused as kids, we're all scanning, trying to figure out if there's any biped in the vicinity who might have the tiniest shred of sympathy for our situation. And, well, you know, we generally come up completely blank. This is why, you know, I've said this before. This is why when society says, oh, we care about the children. We, we're going to get the children educated. We, we got to give money for the kids. You know, I don't care about kids. Mm -hmm. I don't care about kids. Who's, who stood up for you? Who stood up for me? I don't care about kids. This is why it's all just a bunch of garbage. Now, of course, you should care about kids. But, of course, you've seen how the media has treated me sometimes when they realize mm -hmm. that I do actually care about the adult victims of child abuse. So, no, I mean, people don't care about it's all just mammalian posturing, and it's all just a load of bullshit. Um, yeah. So when society, oh, we care about the kids, like, yeah, you don't, you don't care about the kids at all. I mean, nobody stood up for you, right? No one, and that was that was the craziest part about it, is because it was just I just felt completely alone and isolated. Well, you were my you didn't and, more than a feeling, as the song goes. Yeah, right? you were. Yeah, exactly. And I remember, I remember looking back, and I see myself in these pictures. And I'd just be like in the background in the corner, and so. But this is why you were picked on because you had no allies. Yeah, I was I was completely alone, bullied. No one stood up for me. And we, I couldn't we stand can't for even myself. handle what the what the freaking wildebeest do. Like, if you've ever seen these nature documentaries, you know, there's they always there's some hyenas on the African Serengeti or something like that, and like mm -hmm. hyenas, they're looking for the old, the sick, the wounded, and in particular. <laughs> the children right and then yeah. there's this little wobbly legged wildebeest or springbok or whatever the hell it is and it's kind of wobbling around like you're trying to walk on straws or something and and then the hyenas circle it and they get closer and what does the herd do they they circle it they run with it the, the, the mom is kicking away the hyenas they, they're protecting they're young this is what happens in a sane mammalian normal environment god if we could just get to the level of the freaking wilderbeasts we'd have a paradise you know look they're guarding mm -hmm. look she's kicking she's not just saying oh look there's a more attractive wildebeest over there i'm gonna kick this kid to the hyenas and go rut like a wildebeest <laughs> right i mean mm -hmm. th th she's guarding she's willing to risk her life willing to risk her life this wildebeest to guard the young to protect the young from the hyenas 
And all we do is invite the hyenas in, tie up her kids, cover them in marinade, and throw them down the freaking stairs. Dinner time, hyenas! It's like we've lost any... Like, if we could just ascend to the basic mammalian, we'd have far better society. But we look at our young and we're like, yeah, well, you know. They'd be good collateral so that we can pay off the boomers. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll just we'll hawk them in debt and we'll let our hot new wives abuse them and we won't raise a stink and we won't raise a fuss. It's like, just watch a nature documentary. Just see how the zebras protect their young. Can, can we do what the zebra does? Can we do what a wildebeest <laughs> does? Can we do what a ferret does? Anything. 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 Mm -hmm. You know, you see these little otters, they're licking their babies and, and floating along in the wide Sargasso Sea and protecting them from... We don't, like, what? when did we just lose what it is to even be a mammal and care about our young? It's insane. Mm -hmm. We, we act you... like the new male lion acts when he comes along and, like, there's a family there and, and the last male lion got killed. He's like, no, oh, I'm going to kill all the babies so I don't raise anyone who's not my own. It's like, that's where we are. And... and Ah, it's really sad. And the mom, the male, female mom of the lion is like, yeah, you can kill them because then we'll have sex. <laughs> mm -hmm. I know, I know that's, I think that's mammalian that's too, but I just, I'm thinking of the wildebeest thing. Anyway, go on. No, that was, that's a, uh, that's a perfect point because that's, that's how I, when I look back at it now, I realize that's why my dad, if he even, if he realized in the beginning, why he just was like trying to think it was not the way that I, that I saw it was just. And she and he was she she was lying to him all the time, like in front of my face. And so she would just tell me, just lie to your dad, or she wouldn't even say that. She's like, you did this wrong thing, and if you don't tell your dad exactly what I, this is, then you're gonna be grounded longer. No, and, because, and that's because your dad, um, didn't trust you, right? Didn't listen to you. My daughter comes yeah. to me and says something. I'm like, I believe her. Now, it doesn't mean that she's never going to lie. I mean, I understand all of that. I'm not naive that way. Mm -hmm. But I also trust that I'm going to know when something's askew and we're going to work at it until we get to the facts. But she did what she could get away with, that your dad wasn't going to cause any trouble. Now, my guess is your dad is a very vain individual. Can you define that? Um, I just want to understand a clear definition. Oh, yeah, that's fair. Um. So he likes looking good rather than being good. He likes being high status. He likes uh, um, being thought of as uh, important or, or you know, it's the high status thing. He, he aims at that. Um, because the, the, the fundamental question is, why on earth would you burn your relationship with your son in order to appease some woman? I can answer that one. Yeah. So this... This is um, – and this is a problem my dad has still is that in our religious community, one of the things that's like kind of taught is that you don't have sex before you're married, like under no circumstance. And so my dad's kind of workaround was that I'll just get married really quickly and then we can have all the sex we want. And because my dad at the time, he wasn't getting any sex from my mom because you could hurt my mom if you tried to do anything with her because she was so weak at the time. So – I think my dad, the reason, and this goes to show because even later he got remarried again and this is, and again. He's been married three times. The same thing, in the same thing with me for all these women. Um, but for my dad specifically, I think he just, he's addicted to sex with these women and his workaround of like, well, I'm not sinning, quote unquote, is to just 
get married because now it's it's okay. It's ordained of God. God says it's okay for me to have sex as long as I'm married, which is you're completely missing the point of what is being taught, you idiot. Like God is not saying just to get married to have sex. I mean that's that's obviously wrong and so that's not what's being told and so he just he's trying to wait to okay, justify so that, his action that fits completely into the vanity thing for me and yeah. I, i'm not trying to sort of jam your dad into my hypothesis so tell me where i go astray but it wasn't that he had any moral objection like to to having sex outside of marriage he just didn't want to be known as a guy who had sex out of marriage and of course if he had mm. sex outside of marriage then the woman would have power over him and might threaten mm. his status within the community. Because if your dad was so interested in virtue and honor and being good, well, Jesus says, whatever you do to the least of you, i.e. the children, you also do unto me. Mm-hmm. And if your dad was very keen on virtue and morals and ethics, then he would have stood up for his son, and he would have listened to you, and he would have figured out what was going on in his family, because, of course, the good Lord also says to the man, be the leader in the family, mm-hmm. right? Exactly, and I think that that actually fits perfectly yeah, with. So he what just he just wanted the, the the perception of of not sinning. He didn't care about actually sinning. Right? Yeah, and I think he wanted. Um, I mean, and she was a really pretty woman, so he wanted the That's kind of the idea of like, oh, yeah. exactly, of like, well, look how pretty she is, and I get the the prettiest woman in the neighborhood after coming from a decrepit, dying woman. Like it, it just definitely, I could definitely see that, and so. Um, Anyway, so like to kind of segue back of just I got back. The summer vacation occurred. Um, I eventually got back and um, I told my grandparents what had been going on. And I was like, um, mom, because I called their mom at the time. I was like, mom, she's doing all these things. And I, I feel um, like I had not sure what I'm doing wrong. Like I feel like um, I'm I just felt like a like it was still my fault. Like I, I couldn't I didn't know what I was doing wrong, but I was like, can you guys help me? And they're like, this is disgusting. Like, this is not right. Don't call her mom. She does not deserve that title in the slightest. She's not a mother in any way. And so my my good my cousin um, who kind of helped really red pill me in a really strong way. She's she's like I just consider like one of my sisters. Like she we're just really close. She really helped kind of like nail into my head like she's this woman is disgusting she's this blah 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 and really like i like opened my eyes i was like holy crap you are right this whole this makes perfect sense now my grandparents are telling me the exact same things so my whole mom's side of the family because that's who i was staying with was like um they started talking to my dad and like do you realize what's happening to your son at home and they told my dad was like i've had no idea like he hasn't told me anything and blah 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 which is true because i couldn't tell my dad interesting oh well you know he immediately throws you under the bus, which is what he did with his uh, wife, right? Yes. Yeah. He, he didn't tell me. It's like, no, no, no. It's your job to know these things, Dad. Yeah. I didn't know is not an excuse when you're a father. You know, it's sort of like if you're a security guard, you're supposed to do your rounds, right? <laughs> and it, yeah. and you say, well, you know, they say, hey, man, while you were asleep at the front desk, someone broke in and stole everything from the back office. And you, you as the security guard don't get to say, hey, I didn't know. They didn't come and mm-hmm. tell me they were stealing. Not my fault. It's like, that was your job. You have one job, which is to make sure stuff doesn't get stolen. You fell asleep at the desk. People stole stuff. So shut up with the I didn't know stuff. Yes. And I think that um, this actually goes into something more. Because he brought her in. Is- he brought yeah. her into your life. So he is the gatekeeper 
right? He brought her into your life. I mean, he obviously did with your mom as well, but uh, that's, you know, you, you, you it, it's one thing to have a child with someone. It's another thing to bring a new parent or a new adult into that child's life. So he had triple, quadruple, quintuple, sextuple responsibility, which is he brought her into your house and then he abandoned you to her abuse. So this idea, well, you know, the only problem was my son didn't tell me. And it's like, oh, frack off. That, that, that's such yeah. garbage. That's such garbage. Yeah. Uh, he should have taken responsibility at the, like, the least. There should have been, a, I don't know, a little bit of a vetting process for this woman. But, but this is got the same thing. That the, sorry. This is the same thing that the stepbrother did. Shot you in the eye. Things I never thought I'd say in this show. He shot you in the eye. And then the first thing is he's covering his own ass and blaming you. And your dad gets informed of his child being abused. And what does he do? Covers his own ass and blames you. Hmm. I, did, I didn't even realize that until you just pointed that out to me. Interesting. But, yeah. So that that's kind of what had occurred over that summer. And um, I came back. My dad started to at least be open to the idea that she was lying. Um, and so then as time progresses and months progressed, it was the same stuff. Just getting grounded. Couldn't do anything. Couldn't hang out with friends. Um, being very secluded, isolated in my own room. Um, then my dad started to notice like little things because I remember one time it was the, this is the moment that like kind of clicked in my dad's head. I think he just, at some point he was just like, uh, like I'm realizing my son and his situation, obviously don't, it's not accepting because, um, he completely disregarded everything that's been happening for the last two years at that point. So again, ridiculous. But, um, at this time, there's one day when um, I was I was allowed to go to a friend's house, and so this is an awesome time for me because the friends I had, all the people that had like abused me and whatnot, they'd all moved out of their houses. Like they just they all moved away, or I didn't talk to them anymore. Like they were just gone at this point, um, so they weren't even a factor in my life at this at this time. Um, and so I had only like maybe one or two friends, and we weren't very close just because I was always grounded. I could never hang out with anybody. But the one time I could go to a friend's house, I I rode my bike. And um, I was riding my bike down the hill of where our house is, and I was part of the hill. Is like eventually you have to go up the hill to get onto the other end of it, and there's another road. Well, my stepmom was coming up the road as I was going over the other road, so it's, it's kind of hard to explain. But point is, I was nowhere near her, and I got to the top of the hill, and I was like waving to her, like saying, like, hi, like I'm going to a friend's house, and nowhere near her. And she got home. When I got home, um, or about 20 minutes later, I got a call or my friend's parents got a call saying I was like 12 at the time, 11 at the time. My friend's parents got a call saying, hey, you need to go home. Um, your stepmom wants you home. So I was like, OK, uh, I'm probably in trouble. I don't know what for, but I'm going home. So then my she's there again in the house. She's just yelling at me and her kids or her daughters standing there with her, like crossing her arms and like, oh, my word, I can't believe you did this. And la, 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 la. I'm like, what did I do? And so. At this point, because the summer experience, I was kind of fed up with their nonsense at this point because my cousin told me, she's like, just do what you want to do anyways. Like, just go have fun with your friends, leave the house, do the things you want to do because it's not going to make any difference in her head. She's just going to ground you anyways. So I was like, oh, that makes perfect sense. So at this point, I, I started to like speak out more against them. I was like, what I do? Like, explain to me in detail what I did. And so she drags me outside. She's like, come with me. And so she walks me down to the, the street and she's like, see these tire tracks? This is for me slamming the brakes because I almost hit you with my car. I'm like, what? <laughs> I was like blown away. I was like, 
there is, I was nowhere near your vehicle when this occurred. And she's like, well, when your dad gets home, he's going to find out and you're going to be in big trouble. La 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 la. And I was like, there's no way this was not a thing that occurred. And so my dad eventually came home and she was like, your son did this. And I almost killed him in my car. I'm like, I was nowhere near her vehicle, nowhere near it. I was on top of the hill waving to her. This is how I know I was nowhere near it. Like this, Wait, I wasn't so close. She, she thought, well, what did she think? I mean, if she almost hits you in the car, how on earth is that your, I mean, what am I, what, what did she say you did? Because her perspective, what she said, this is again, not what happened. She said that when I was coming down the street on my bike, um, I didn't look both ways before crossing the street and I just rode right in front of her car and almost got hit. She had to slam her brakes according to her. She had to slam her brakes and I almost was hit and I just kept going. And then I didn't say anything. Like I didn't come back and apologize, nothing. So I was like, that was not, that didn't happen. I was good probably 200 feet away from you, 100 feet. I was nowhere near you on the other side of the street waving to you at the top of the road. And you just went into the house. You didn't slam any brakes. There was no brake slamming. And so was there, were there my dad, marks on the road? None. There was none. So this is the part where my dad, like, I don't know if it just clicked in his head. He was like, you were lying because we went down to the road and she's like, this is, and my dad was like, was it here? Was it here? Was it here? She's like, I don't know where it was. It was somewhere right over here. I don't here. know I'm where like, it was. Yeah. Right. Cause you know, near accidents never get burned into your brain or anything. Exactly. And it would have been a very apparent. I'm like, you apparently slammed your brakes. There's no tire marks anywhere. My dad's like, there's nothing here. My son didn't do anything wrong. And so then my, they got into a huge fight. Um, she left with her kids and, um, this led into later, this was basically the moment where my dad was like, this woman's crazy, or at least she, I know she's lying to me and this relationship is very no, bad for, no, she's not crazy. She's, yeah, she's not getting crazy. you back for talking to your grandparents. Exactly. Yeah. And that was kind of her way of trying to, um, kind of chain me back and kind of bring me under control as to just find more things. And it, it didn't work for her. And so, well, also a there couple, was a, the, the, um, you and your father were getting closer together because he was beginning to monitor her behavior. So she was trying to break that wedge as well. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, playing the victim like she almost got hurt, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, I mean, that's chilling. Again, when you get this amoral resource acquisition, power-seeking control stuff, when you let go of virtue and ethics and standards, I mean, you're in incredibly traumatic and dangerous territory because normally the mammals of the same species stick together and protect each other, but human beings have this almost unique capacity. I mean, there's a couple of places in the animal kingdom where this happens, but human beings have this unique capacity to prey on other human beings. You know, human beings are, and ants are the only creatures that wage war on each other. And the greatest predators that are out there are, without a doubt, human beings. I mean, particularly when they have political power, but when they have parental or authority power as well. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the predation. You know, people would think we live in this predator-free society because we have cities and shit. It's like, no. Oh, no, no, no. We do not live in a predator-free society. Wherever there are other human beings around, there are potential predators. And you knew this from being very early on when you were sexually preyed upon. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that you hit it right on the head like you usually do. But that that is essentially what had occurred with this woman. It eventually ended um, not too long after that. I can't remember the exact time frame. Nothing of great importance happened between that time she was in and out of the house she was eventually gone um 
I had some, I was starting to hang out with some good friends at school and we would just go and ride our bikes everywhere all the time. So I was never, I try to get away from the house ah, as much as possible. The great roving bike riding gangs of the <laughs> used children. No, it's, it's, I mean, this is what I did. I, I remember sitting out back of the mall. That mall's no mm. longer there. I remember sitting out back of the mall, probably for an hour with my friends trying to come up with a cool name for our bike gang. <laughs> you know, like a That's cool exactly name. What we something, did. something that was cool enough that we would feel dangerous, but not so dangerous <laughs> that we'd be attacked by some other bike gang or something like that, you know? And yeah, something something to send a message, but not like a message of threat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A message of cool, but not a message of provocation, you know, mm -hmm. being on social media these days. But um, <laughs> no, and and we used to go to the woods. We'd, we'd, you know, we'd pool our, literally pool our nickels and dimes and we'd get a, like a tin of beans and uh, mm -hmm. I, I would get a... Um, a pot we'd go and light a fire in the woods and we'd cook some beans and like old timey style you know like we were yeah. rustling the cattle and uh yeah it was uh just you you've got a big problem because you don't have any money and you can't be at home and so you turn mm -hmm. into this weird underage nomadic gypsy just going <laughs> some i used, i built tree houses just so i'd have a place to go and read where i wasn't at home and mm -hmm. there's constantly you 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 know the search search for water it was not inconsiderable, right? Because uh, I remember I used to, my friends and I, you know, with the sort of gang of the abused kids, we would, we found a spring in the woods, like we would drink from it. Uh, I'm not sure that it was all great. I mean, <laughs> it was like flint water effluent or something like that. Uh -huh. But you have a problem because where do you, like you're thirsty and you can mm -hmm. only get chased out of the mall because, you know, what's the old thing. They're not there to shop. They're not there to work. They're just there. Mm -hmm. And you've got to always find some place where you can go. And my friends weren't that into reading, so the library was kind of out. Plus, you can't really socialize there. <laughs> so we would just go to the woods. We would go to the woods. We'd, we'd roam around. And, uh, you know, it's just and anything but home. Anywhere but home. ABH. Anywhere mm -hmm. but home. And it's one thing if you've got a lot of money, then you can do stuff. But if you've got no money and you can't go home, you're a rambling kid. You're just a rambling, rambling kid. And everything you do has to do with finding things to do with no money when you're not home. And I remember a friend of mine, the guy who died later in the motorcycle accident, I remember us being in front of that mall, probably 10.30 at night, playing Frisbee because he didn't want to go home. I didn't want to go home. And I remember the cops coming over like, what are you doing? Playing Frisbee. Officer, why? It's fun. <laughs> you know, what are you going to say? What are you going to say? Uh-huh. Yeah, you can't you can't say that you're an abused child because that's <laughs> no no my, my my mom caught yeah my mom called the cops um, oh, on me once gotcha. uh, when because you know like you I'm I I bow down to the great estrogen monster until I hit puberty and then testosterone demands that I stop doing that you know like uh, <laughs> uh, you know when when you get bigger and so on so I started fighting back not physically only once mm -hmm. did I do that but um, just. Yeah, I went from like the golden child to the demon child in my mom's eyes because I started fighting back. And when, you know, that's dangerous for the abusive parent, though, because if you've got one golden kid and then that kid turns on you, uh, it's like there's this documentary on Oasis where they, the band members, the founding band members, I think they, they keep like everyone keeps leaving the band. Like we must be the worst human beings on the planet because everyone leaves this band, even though we're basically printing money. <laughs> and so if the golden kid turns on the abusive parent, then the abusive parents at some, you know, it's like after someone gets married three times and it goes to hell, it's like, maybe it's me. 
And so, uh, yeah, so she, yeah, she called the cops, and the cops came over, and I remember they gave me a big lecture about there being a generation gap. Is a generation gap. That's the issue here. Mm. It's like, no, she's crazy, and she's evil, and she's violent. That might be the issue. But, you know, they just, why did they lecture me? Because I'm a kid. I'm 12 years old. Um, or maybe I was 13, so I can't, I can't do anything. I can't lodge a complaint. I can't complain about them. And people size up my mom and like, well, she's crazy. She could be really aggressive. She could be really mean. So she could make my life difficult as a cop. So I'm just going to lecture the kid and then walk off like I've just saved a family. Uh, when all you're doing, again, it's just, it's just I can't make their life difficult. I can't lodge a complaint. I can't fixate on them. I can't stalk them or whatever, you know. So they're like, yeah, you know, we'll lecture the kid and we'll, we'll move on. And that's mm-hmm. society. This is like that's society. Everybody's just trying to figure out how to get the least amount of trouble and the most amount of resources. And then they strut around like they're big moral agents. I mean, this is the ridiculous buffoonery and kabuki theater of moral posturing called society. But anyway, so I, I know about that sort of can't go home. Biking, yeah, biking is great. You know? <laughs> and I, I piece together bikes from like you find. I couldn't afford any. You piece together bikes, you just find in the garbage. You know, you have a mm-hmm. different color bike and all of that, and uh, you just roam around. You just go. Well, that was fun too, because like if you found those like um, broken down pieces and you made it into something useful, you're like, oh, that was cool. I can. I'm now riding around the thing I built, so it's like it just makes it a little more fun and interesting. Because I remember like times like I'd look forward when my tire broke just so or popped. That way you could just go back and get a new tire or try to find one and then just try to put something together. Oh, yeah. Abuse or, and recycling like, go hand, hand in hand. This is one of the reasons. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, see the recycling <laughs> bin. I'm like, yeah, I remember that. Yes, exactly. So that's that's what we did. We just we just rode around. I remember there's a little um, – it was like a, I don't, like a Sonic or something. It was just a little restaurant where go go and like order some food. So it was like every – we pull all of our little pennies together and we would just go and grab some food and just eat there. And it was like so cool because you're like – yeah, we're riding our bikes, and we don't have cars, so we just we feel cool and just riding our bikes around and just getting food at some place a few miles away, just little things like that. So that was kind of a, that was a great. I the fish and chip shop where for ten cents you could get the leftover batter. Ah, and I like I look back at that now, and it's like, are you kidding me? I basically was eating <laughs> a face full of grease and ketchup. Ew. <laughs> so gross. Yeah, it's, 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 it's great to be thirteen with the arteries of a, like a forty-nine year old alcoholic. <laughs> Ugh. where you're just eating just and you just feel your arteries getting clogged as you just spoonful it oh, yeah, yeah yeah like my arteries are slowly turning into pipe cleaners but at least <laughs> i'm not hungry no it's like when i would go to the uh um go to the science center as a, as a kid with the school groups and so on and you're supposed to bring money for lunch i never had any money so what would you do you'd get you'd get your crackers and ketchup because those were the things that you would get because, uh, you, you know, the crackers were out there you didn't have to pay for them because it was for the people who had soup crackers and ketchup that would be the poor kids lunch Mm-hmm. For for me, I remember because we didn't have much money. I felt cool when I would eat like this sounds gross, but we had like um, a big bag of frozen French fries, and so we couldn't afford like um, popsicles. So I eat those. I pretended they were popsicles. I was like, these are delicious. They're just disgusting frozen fr- French fries. My mother used so, to. My mother used to get this weird. I don't know. It was like some half chemical blueberry syrup or something like that, and she'd mix it with water, <laughs> Ooh, and it would turn like. Star Wars green, you know, like that that weird milk that Luke <laughs> drinks at the beginning of the uh, the first Star Wars, uh-huh. and yeah, my friends we, we, they made jokes about it. Like, let's go, let's go to Steph's place for a vat of funny green stuff. 
you know, like just this weird <laughs> space alien urine that would be mm-hmm. a substitute for, for something to drink because the water wasn't that great. It was kind of rusty, but you mix in the weird blueberry goo and uh, you can kind of jam it down the old gullet. That's and, disgusting. You know, you know, and you look back and you're like, my God, I mean, at least when you're home, yeah. you can go to a shelter and get some decent water. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the, it's so weird because like at the time, now I think back, it's just, it's so funny, you're just like, you just find all these little things to just make your, like you're poor and you just try to find anything to, to kind of fill the idea that you're, you have more than what you have. Like for me, it was like popsicles. Like I thought only rich kids could afford popsicles. I'm like, that's crazy. Like you guys have these chocolate popsicles and like the, the moose, like those are my favorite, like chocolate moose um, popsicles or whatever they were, um, or otter pops. Those are a big thing. And I was like, how can you guys afford this stuff? This is so awesome. And so I just, my version was French fries, frozen French fries. Or just like plain ice. I just I have very fond fondness for plain ice, and I just eat that. <laughs> oh, but wretched. It's just it's just weird, funny times. But um, oh yeah, and just, I remember, just food. You know, like if you had leftovers, sometimes it was kind of a race. Like I think I can eat this. Mm-hmm. You know, I can I can scrape that funny colored stuff off the edge, and <laughs> I can give it a shot. Mm-hmm. I can you know I'll I'm, I know hunger is bad for me, and this probably isn't quite as bad for me. And yeah, this coming home and just trying to find something to eat. I mean, that was that was harsh. I mean, that that was mm-hmm. harsh. And 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 heaven forbid, heaven forbid, some kid wants to come over to your house for lunch. Yes. Oh man, I remember that was never never a thing in my, no, my house. You, you really had to make some excuses for that. Yeah. Oh, my I, mom I, didn't do groceries <laughs> this morning. And like, yeah, for me it was always I just told them like, oh, my house is way too dirty. Like we can't go over my house, and so I just so you'd, try rather, to find you'd rather say I live in a filth dump rather than have people come over and realize that the place is kind of clean. It's just empty of food. <laughs> yes, because the the outside is nice, and so it looks pretty on the outside, but the inside is horrible. Kind of like a it's kind of like what was actually going on in the actual house. But um, but yeah, so that that was always my excuse. I remember also my escape was um, I would. I would go out and lay on the backyard because you had a backyard, and I would just go out and lay outside. And um, a lot of the planes, they would just fly overhead. And so I'd always just – I'd lay in the backyard just looking up at the sky, just imagining myself in those planes because I, I fell in love with the planes as a kid. So that's actually what I'm going into. Wherever, um, but, wherever they're going, I want to go there. Exactly. Like every, everywhere was, they could land is an improvement. That's exactly – that was exactly how I felt about it. I was like, I don't care where those planes are going. I just want to be on them. And so I remember – um, we had, when we had uh, internet at the time, cause we had, didn't have internet for like four years, but when I had it at the time, um, Probably we had it for a little for bit. You, actually. Yes, exactly. I remember I go to the, even like there's a library and there was like a flight tracker and you could just like track the flights and see where they're all coming from. I was like, this is, a, this is awesome. Like I, I, just, I can't imagine me on that one or this one. And wow, they're coming from Hawaii. They're coming from China. And I was just like, it's just those little things. It was like, I felt like an escape and then I just go back inside and just feel depressed but um, my mom would, would go trying to find guys, right? She, she this is back when you could. There, there yeah. was no like, what do you do on the internet now in terms of finding mm-hmm. guys? But she used to, she used to take ads out in like crappy newspapers, and she's go meet these guys. She'd leave me with a couple of bucks, like not enough, and some people gone for a week or two, and so I'd spend the money on food, and then I'd literally have like sometimes a week where I had no food and no money. And you got to be kind of creative. I mean, mm-hmm. and I do remember, like, you, you, you hang out at friends' places, 
like, and you kind of had to be pushy, you know, <laughs> there's a reason I ended up kind of wide shouldered and pushy because you kind of have to like your friends, like you call them up to, Hey man, want to hang out? And he's like, no, we got to, oh, come on, man. It'll be fun. We'll do mm-hmm. X, Y, and Z. Right. And, and I'll, you know, we'll do what you want to do. <laughs> you know, because it's like, I, yeah, I want to hang out, but I'm hungry. And you go that over. That is so and you just, funny that you say that. You just you hang out and you hang out and you 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 can't say I'm hungry and I need to eat, right? You you can't say that. Yeah, you got some pride, right? But but at the same time, you're hungry and you, you need to. Eat. I mean, I shouldn't laugh because it's a terrible situation. But you basically have to hope that they're like, you just kind of hang around and you just don't leave. And mm-hmm. eventually, you know, people are like, "Hey, you want to stay for dinner?" And I'm like, "I could do that." Holy crap! Yeah, that was like almost word for word how I felt in those situations was just when someone would offer me dinner, I was like, oh my goodness, I felt like just ecstatic. I was, I felt like I was going to like a nice restaurant, just didn't even matter what it was. It was just, it was a nice home cooked meal by a, a loving family of some kind. And so it was just, I felt like this is awesome. This is great. It's just, yeah. And at, at oh, the and time, I, I remember like, too. yeah. I snuck food. I, I, like, like, uh, honestly, I would like, I would, I hate to say it, you know, cause they were generous people, but I was hungry. And uh, I would like take a bowl. Uh, I, I would take a can of soup or something like on occasion because I'm like, I don't know when I'm going to be back here for food. And I got no money. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I had I... jobs, but, uh, you know, this is back in the day. It would take a while to get paid. You had to cash. There'd be two days uh, delay on your, your check. And I mean, it was, yeah, it was harsh. For me, I felt too bad. I couldn't, I couldn't take the food. I would feel like I, I just felt too bad. And so I, I kind of like figure out a way to nicely ask them if I could take some. I'm like, yeah. Well, see now, parents, that's a clue. If there's a kid hanging around who's also asking for extra food, the larder may not be overly full where that kid is. Mm-hmm. And that was that was the situation at home for me. I remember at the time because we have a pretty we have a really strong religious community. The, um, the churches they um, they have a, what's referred to as like the bishop's storehouse where. They just have a bunch of food, and then so they just they would give it out. And so, I remember um, for that for like two years, three years, we were just living exclusively on just church welfare. Mm-hmm. Not we, we never took like actual welfare from the government, but it was church goods. But it was very very scarce, and because my dad felt, um, I think my dad, I don't, I've never asked him about it, but I, I don't think he felt comfortable asking for these welfare programs from the church. So doesn't we, help with the old status thing. Yeah, exactly. And that, that fits perfectly what you were saying earlier. So he would just never – he would get one big batch of just a ton of stuff and then months would go by and we just kind of have to eat as much as that we could um, until he eventually, eventually recovered and got a job. Um, recovered, I mean like not like recovered from anything, but it just like recovered. No, but if, if he was married employment. to your stepmom and she was getting four grand a month, that's fairly good coin, right? Yeah, that's that's where – I, I hate not, to, I hate to sort of compare poverty stories, but there weren't no four grand a month coming into my household. No, this was that whole that situation occurred after they were gone. So after your um, stepmom was gone, yes. So I, I would enjoy hanging out with my friends. We'd have great times, and then but didn't it was he like sue her for alimony. I'm sure he could have, since she made most of the money coming into the household. Uh, no, my dad's kind of a cuck. Like he just kind of bends over backwards and just does whatever the women want, and yeah. they there's. Like that was, that's his attitude. Well, he that's gives I mean, up. He basically because you're addicted to status. Um, you you don't have any, you can't have any. You can have standards, or you can be. You can go for status, or you can have standards. You you can't do both. Yeah, and that was that's and that's how he was. It was just he didn't want to. 
I don't think he wanted to have people think that there was a worse situation than there was. So he just didn't want to even consider the options. And, and so, I don't know if this happened to you because you're, you're still a young man and all that. But for me, because I went through a lot of times where I had to really pack on the calories to, you know, where's the next meal coming from, right? Because it's like, it's fine. It's good to have a good meal one night. But, you know, there's breakfast, lunch, the next day. I'm, and so, I'm refilling water, by the way. Yeah, it's fine. I, be, yeah so you kind of okay. have to do this thing where you you pack on the calories because you're not sure. So you're like a, you're like a bear going to hibernation. You just pack on the old calories. And I had to really watch that when I got older and had enough to eat that I just had to really talk myself out of that habit. Like, I don't eat much during the day, but come nighttime, I have to really restrain myself from just eating more. Because that's, so that's funny. just an old habit that I had from when I was hungry that you just, you, you pack, I mean, you're based mammalian stuff. You pack on the calories because who knows where the hell your next meal is coming from. That's so interesting because, um, and I, I was just filling up water. I wanted to think like, I was like peeing or something, but I was, um, but that was, that was exactly how I was because after my dad got a job, I, I put on a lot of weight and um, I didn't realize that until I looked back at pictures of myself because I was like, it was like seventh grade at the time or eighth grade. Um, and my dad finally landed an architecture job where he was making like, pretty, pretty decent money. Like maybe like 60,000 a year, much more than basically nothing. So that was, that was awesome. I was ecstatic. So we got to eat. And so we would go out to eat pretty frequently. It just, cause it was just me and my dad living at home at this time. So just, I spent a lot of time with my dad for that next period of my life. And, um, so we just, we'd always be doing stuff together. We'd always be watching like star Trek at home and we'd get like, um, pizza or something and just come home and just watch TV shows and whatnot. Um, so not, it's not really quality time. Yeah, not like um, I don't I don't remember really doing really anything awesome. Like um, it was that was pretty much like you just said it wasn't like quality time, but it was it was just time where we just kind of just hung out, watched some movies, and ate food. Um, I know me and my dad would always have like religious arguments because like I'm Christian, but he's like firm in his beliefs about like evolution not being a thing and how there's no way we form from all these different things and blah blah blah, yeah, blah. And so we just the big always issue. Get that, those that. are the big issues with your dad is whether evolution is true or not yeah that's that's <laughs> exactly. a, you know you you've worked through everything else that that's now the number one <laughs> issue is evolution yeah Ooh. those are the these bigger problems are what we're trying to i'm trying I, to work i can see right the now. evolution of avoidance occurring in your relationship <laughs> very yep that that's for me, right now, I've been trying to work through this. Yeah, I've, let's let's spend. A, just, I mean, it's been a long chat, but let's spend. And I've really enjoyed it, so great. But let's spend the last little bit uh, talking about how things are with your dad at the moment. Okay, I'll I'll briefly like wrap it up with um a stories leading to now. So my dad, a few years later, he got remarried to a woman who same situation. She treated me the exact same way that my last stepmom did. Um, and he got married to her. I'm assuming just out of sex. He just wanted more sex from this woman. Cause that's how it felt because she treated me horribly. She hit me a few times. Um, nothing crazy. She just, she would hit me. She slapped me. Cops had to be called a couple times. Um, and it wasn't like persistent and it happened every day, but it did happen probably like three or four times. Um, and that they were, we were there together for about two years, three years until I was 16. They got divorced. And then my dad wasn't married until about a year and a half, two years ago, a year and a half ago. He got remarried to another woman who I'm I, at this point I was out of the house. Like I was just, cause I got married at Wait, 18. Fourth? I got, go ahead. Was that fourth? Fourth. Um, I thought he was it three marriages or four marriages. 
After my mom, he's been married three times. So four marriages total. Yeah, and this so one is definitely... So he's very big on evolution, but the until death do us part part is not... What, what, what God has joined together, let no man tear asunder. He's not exactly. so keen on that stuff. Yeah, he's, he's big on the... And this is, this is the crazy part is that he even like lies to himself about it is that he's like, I've been praying about it and even God has told me not to go through with this marriage and that I should never have gotten married to her and God has said not to and the, I've been talking to our bishop and he said not to and then everyone's been telling me not to but I just – I can't help it. I, I want to be with her so bad. I'm like even your God that you claim to be praying to is telling you not to pursue anything with – this woman who has openly stated that she hates me, she hates my sister, she wants nothing to do with our lives whatsoever, but you want her in the house. You know, like I don't, I don't go to my dad's house anymore. Like he, he drops off mail at my house, um, and that's about the extent of it. Wait, so but we his don't... new wife doesn't want you in the house? No, not at Why? all. I mean, well, what's her? I mean, what's her cover story? This is this is where it's just really really bizarre, and. She's this way with literally everybody. I think she's definitely just typical. She just wants someone to just pay for her garbage. She doesn't want anything to disrupt her income levels with because I'm now my dad. Um, and so she just doesn't want anything to disrupt that kind of idea. She has a few kids. So my dad's taking care of all that stuff. Wait, how old are um, your kids? Just give me age ranges. I don't need specifics. Um, Teenagers? From teenage like from probably like 6 15 to 23 24 so maybe and, uh, maybe she wants to keep you and your dad separate for concerns of inheritance in the long run maybe i, I really she's illegal so that's one massive factor <laughs> what yeah she's an illegal immigrant well which is to say she's not an immigrant yes she's she a, is, an illegal alien from where yes from mexico from mexico yeah. So she currently, I'm sure that part of this marriage, she is getting some kind of, you get to stay here in the United States for longer periods of time, a green card or something. I'm not sure. I don't know the exact law. Is what oh, I yeah. Did. No, the green card stuff is very much artificial sexual market value, right? I don't have yes. much to offer a woman, but maybe I can give her access to the resources and treasure and freedoms built up by our ancestors. Yeah. Exactly. Great. And so this has actually led to a lot of recently because um oh wait she's enforcing like, a border at her house against you <laughs> i didn't even like i didn't even well think you see that. this is my property this is my space this is my domain and you can't come in says the illegal alien oh my god that is god. so ah! and, we've, oh, no. and we have we've tried so hard to like me and my sisters we've tried to be close with her my my oh, sister no, you got to stop. No, no, you got to stop. Yeah. You got to stop. We've, we've, oh, yeah, we stopped now. For the first step, mom, like, come on, you got to stop. Yeah, we've, we've tried nothing for a year. But in the beginning, we did try yeah. because we thought maybe there was a change. Maybe there'd be something different. Of course not. So we, we've all given up. And so I've given up on my dad in that regard. Um, so I, I'm trying to teach my dad is treat him right now is very businesslike. Like, no, um, he's, I'm he's, not trying he's to. Choosing, he's choosing the, the Mexican over his children. Yes. So what, there's this no relationship. Is, there's no no real relationship. And when I try to talk to him about it, he quickly just like shuts off the conversation. He doesn't want to keep talking about it. He's just like, okay, yeah, thank you. So he's, um, a, he's a sex addict, I would imagine. Then, yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. Um, but again, his workaround is just to get married. Yeah, yeah. And that's okay. why he gets married so many times. Just stupid. Yeah. 
but um but yes he definitely definitely a sex addict that's what we've come to the conclusions with i mean it's, it's like um, you know how people choose drink over their family he's just choosing these terrible women over his children i don't yes even when the abuse is obvious and he just he wants to disregard it because he just wants to did he ever apologize to you for the the first stepmom and and keeping you in your room and like did he ever realize that she'd been lying the whole time and just like i'm so sorry i didn't believe you i put you through years of hell and 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 yeah he has okay oh good okay yeah so that's when one my dad has a lot of flaws but that's one thing i I was appreciative of but i'm not sure if it means a whole lot because he's still doing the same thing now well that's the thing right so it's one thing to apologize but if if an apology doesn't come with a change in behavior the apology is just more manipulation right his actions are speaking a lot louder than his words. Yeah, yeah. Does and so that's he do he, he apologized me. He he's done it a few times where he just he feels so sorry. He's crying. He's like, I'm so sorry this happened. La la. Like addicts do I that feel too. Feel so right? bad. Yeah, that's that's and what it quickly he dissolves into self pity. Yes, and this is where this is where my this is something that has driven me crazy is because so um, and this is what maybe I was trying to find a way to maybe get some advice from you from so yeah let's make sure we get get what you need out of the convo but go ahead oh i'm already getting a whole lot so i, I appreciate you just even talking to me I, oh my pleasure man it's my pleasure you've steph you've I'm, I'm not joking i'm sorry i emailed you so many times but i was like if i get to talk to steph that's gonna be amazing I, uh, I listen i appreciate the persistence so i do, do i say that to other people do it too but go ahead okay awesome but um what i was saying is that um so after when I turned 18 years old, my because my mom she set up like a life insurance account. So after my dad, um, after my mom after I turned 18, I was I got a fairly large amount of cash from my from my mom. So the first thing my dad wanted, he's like, um, he's like, you've gotten this money, I demand ten thousand dollars. He's like, he told me that straight up. He's like, um, he's like, this is my money. He's like, I've I've raised you my entire life. I, I want $10,000. He's like, I'm not asking for it nicely. He's like, I, I feel like I deserve this for taking care of you my entire life. And so at the time, um, in my religious community, one thing that a lot of men do in my faith is that they go on missions. So they go and they just preach the church and whatnot for a period of time. And so that's what I was planning on doing. And so I was like, at the time, my dad kind of manipulated me into thinking like, oh, yeah, my dad has taken care of me. He's done so many no, good no, things. What you do is you say, dad... I'm going to have to pray on that. Yes. And I should have, but I did not. No, because okay, yeah. You yes, don't want to see the that's... side of your dad that comes out when you don't pay him off, right? Yes, exactly. Because that's, that's one thing my dad always did is he'd always yell and scream at us and make us feel even worse and manipulate us. He did this. He does it so well, and he's always, always the victim. He's always – and I didn't even realize, like, he's a master manipulator. He does it with everybody. So this is where – the distinction between my stepmom and my dad is that my stepmom, she did it knowing what she's doing. My dad does it. It's just a personality for him. Like he just – he gets money out of people and manipulates people in such a way that you just feel so bad or you feel like, oh, I could just do so much better for you. He did this to my grandparents when my mom was dying. He would get money out of them and they'd pay up pretty pretty easily um, to him, not even to my mom. But they did it to my mom obviously. But he would just get money out of people, my uncle's. Me after I turned eighteen, he just he just does it so well. Um, there's a lot to learn from it, but um. So, anyways, eventually I turned eighteen. I got my money. I paid him. I put a bunch of money into investments because I wanted to be smart with my money. 
And then I was planning on leaving. And so this is actually where my wife comes in the picture. At this time, me and her, we were dating. So um, after my, this is going way back to the earlier conversation, I apologize for it just required a lot of story. But um, after our, me and my, my ex-girlfriend at the time, once we broke up, um, a couple months later, I was like, I have this girl I've been friends with for so long. We were, we're such great friends. She's literally everything I've ever wanted a person. Like she talks deeply with me. She holds my same political values. My values is like how we want to see life, how we want to raise kids. Like she just shares all this stuff with me. We've just talked about it naturally, not even like as romantically as anything. And I was like, you're everything I've ever wanted. Like you're perfect for me. And she felt the same way. So we started dating. Don't you love um, that moment during- when you're like, I'm finally with someone where no upgrade is possible. Yes. And that was that was exactly how it was with her is that I could just be real with her. I could talk about I could talk about you. I remember her showing some videos of you. Um, I can't remember the exact ones. It was, it was over two years ago, three years ago at this point. And I was like, this guy, he just he makes so much sense. Like taxation is theft. Like it's so obvious. How do people not realize this stuff that it's just volunteerism and just teaching all these principles and it just like it just makes perfect sense. And I show her other people that I also it's like these people just make so much sense. Like and she was just like that. She just she just fell in line with it perfectly. Even before even showing her that stuff, I had her take just like a political test online, and she came out like a constitutional conservative. So I was like, huh, I'm on at least the right track. So, <laughs> so I was like, this is perfect. I could talk deeply with her. I could tell her about my childhood and my mom. And she was just sympathetic and empathetic. She would cry with me when I was crying. She just, she's just literally everything. And so, um, this is, I'm sorry we're talking so much, but, um, we were dating for all of senior year. Um, I broke with my girlfriend. We started dating. Cause I was like, you're perfect for me. We're perfect for each other. And she felt the exact same way. And we just started dating. And so it was just very natural. Um, it was not, it was never a time when I was like, Oh, I just have to be around her like in a in a bad way. It was always just very natural and it felt good, just felt peaceful. Um, because of the stark difference between my ex toxic relationship and her was that I just I just felt so peaceful around her and I could just we talk and be normal and it was just it was so nice. And so with her it was just a very quick and I just like the for me, I always say like um like you eventually all the hormones wear off and you're just left with somebody and you're like, do I actually love this person? And for her, it was just, it was obvious. Like I was just, my hormones and my teenage hormones were wearing off. And I was like, we're, we're not designed to be with people of opposing values. I mean, if you think about our tribal evolution, everybody around had the same values. So, exactly. so our sexual attraction is, is always designed to be erected, so to speak, on top of the same values or very similar values. And exactly. That's so why this idea that like all this diversity stuff and like people now wildly different values. This is not how we evolved. And our sexual bonding mechanism is designed on the assumption that we share values. And so this is why I keep saying to people, you know, the, the people are going to laugh and say, what do you mean you had to have an online political test? It's like, yes, <laughs> because the <laughs> online political test used to be, well, we're in the same village of 100 people and we all go to the same church and we all have the same values. That's how we evolved. Exactly. That's why that's why when people are like, Oh, I'm dating them and they really like Lord of the Rings and I like Lord of the Rings. I'm like, that's nice, but that's not going to drive you through the storm. Like when the storm hits your boat, you need something to really hold you and like bat down the hatches with you. And it's not going to be, well, we really like the same books. And no, you got to like think, Plato. So you know this from your mom, right? You got to think, how is this person going to be if I get really sick? Because you know what? One day you will. 
One day exactly. you'll get really sick, yay, verily unto death, perhaps. And how's that person going to be? Are they going to be like, well, this is a hassle. This is boring. Yes. And so those 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 shallow, you we just like the same things. That's so dumb. And media has just lied to us and told us that that's what we need to strive for. And obviously that's why, partially, definitely why divorce rates are so high, is that you just, you look for shallow, shallow things and you just fall for sex. You fall for looks where it's, it's the deep things. And my He's wife cute is cute and funny. It's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and my wife's dropped it gorgeous, so that's not that's not a problem. But um, um, but Listen, those you, deeper I, things. I assume your dad was a, it was a good looking, may still be as a good looking guy too, right? Yeah, yeah. He's the a good, good looking, looking stuff, good looking stuff, like being good looking, can very very easily lead you down that path of status and no principles. Yeah, exactly, and that's that's where my dad is, and I'm in a. I, we, we're going to come up on our two year um, anniversary here in only a couple of weeks, actually on the. Uh, just a couple weeks from now. So that's awesome. And it's because we got married the day after we graduated high school. We just, we eloped. We got engaged during high school and her family, her parents lost their minds. They kicked her out of the house. They took all of her stuff away, took her phone away, took her car away. They threw all of her clothes out of the house and said, get out of here. We don't. And they just didn't want anything to do with her. And so we're like, I feel she should call him next, but all right, go on. Yeah. She wanted to say hi because she couldn't be here for it. Um, But she wanted to say hi. She wants just tell stuff. I said hi. Hi back. But um, but yeah. So she was thrown out of the house, and so um, we were just like, well, fuck you guys. We're gonna do what we want. Like we're not getting any help from anybody. You're obviously not willing to do anything with you. We were trying to be rational with you. We pulled them aside and we're like, so we want to get married. Um, and four months from now, we've been dating for over a year at this point we're like want to get married four months from now this is the situation and they just sat there quietly listened to us and then they were just they just let it all out their her dad was just yelling and screaming her mom was just her mom's a master manipulator she reminds me exactly like my stepmom exactly to the t it's crazy they're divorced so her parents are divorced um, but her mom is just very, very manipulative. Her dad, me and him are, we have a great relationship now. So me and her dad are very fine now. Um, I love him. We get along. We talk all the time. He's a great, great guy. Um, he apologizes for all the stuff that he put us through in the very beginning, but he's always there and he's helping us. He's supporting us, supporting me. It means a lot to me because I consider him more of a dad than my own dad. He's, he's a great guy. Um, just in the beginning, it was just blow up yelling screaming get out of the house throwing all the crap out of the house we're on our own so she had to live with her her friends because we were still in high school um, my dad didn't want her to move in just because we were still uh, still in high school and so um, but whatever and so he she just lived with one of her friends for the next few weeks and then we're like let's just let's go let's do this thing let's just get married right now like we have really nothing else holding us back they wanted us to like wait like two years and have okay, like. I'm sorry to, I mean, I, I hate to sort of interrupt you, but I do want no, to make fine. sure we get to the things with yes. your dad. And uh, congratulations on your marriage. Sounds wonderful. And uh, yes, congratulations okay. on your anniversary. But let's make sure we get to your dad. Definitely. Okay. So we, we got married. Everything's great. And so great now, where things are with me and my father, I am just, I'm not sure what to do with him because me and my sisters and our family, we have sat him down. We've tried to talk him logically through it and even illogically through it, just trying to make like emotional appeals. You're trying to make anything make sense for him of just – you're not doing you're, – you're choosing these women consistently over your kids. This is happening, blah, blah, blah. 
and he just doesn't want to hear it. And I've tried to talk to him because I try to tell my dad, you took that money from me at a time when I needed it most and you had no regard. And I still bring it up to him and he still feels like he deserved it and he's the one, which whatever, maybe, I don't know. You're my dad to just take care of me. No, you, 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 you can't charge your children for raising them. I'm like, I'm, so this is such an obvious thing. Like you cannot, yes. you cannot, char- can you imagine paying, like asking your wife to pay you to marry her? <laughs> this is even worse, infinitely worse. You can't yes. charge your children for raising them. I mean, this, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. That's that's exactly what I've felt about it. And so for now, I'm just, I, I still hold on more. Okay, so let me let me tell you. That. Okay, hang on, hang on. So let me let me sort of give you the the lowdown on this. Now, I mean, I got a whole book, real time relationships, but it sounds like you've been really talking with your dad and trying to get things across and so on. I will tell you the four-letter word that you know with your wife. This is the four-letter word that clarifies relationships. The word is lazy. In other words, stop working so freaking hard. Stop peddling for four people. Stop doing all the work. Be lazy. See, I mean, you were raised to try and navigate these relationships. You were raised without people investing in protecting you. You were raised having to do all the work, having to figure things out. You were raised being a victim. Now, being a victim means that it's good. It gives you a great work ethic, which I bet you're a very hard worker in your career. I bet you're a very hard worker as a whole. So being raised with no support and being preyed upon and being exploited and being abused makes you a very hard worker. And that's great in some ways. I'm a very hard worker, too. Like I was just <laughs> the other day, like was it over four thousand five hundred shows? Yeah, it's been some work, right? <laughs> but the reality is, it's fine in your career to be a hard worker. Do not be a hard worker in your relationships, because you know there's this there's this lie that people oh relationships there's so much work. It's like they're really not. They're not supposed to be relationships. They're supposed to be where you fall to a comfortable place and get recharged. You can't have a second job called a relationship if you have a primary job called a career. You can't, you'll burn out. Now, it's very hard for people who have the workaholism that comes out of abuse because, you know, when you're abused, you you got to just, like, you got to work like crazy just to be normal. And you have to backfill so much Oh, the crazy, like, why am I so rational? Because I grew up facing the face-shredding gale of an incredibly intrusive woman's insanity. Like, my mother was not neglectful. Oh, God, I wish she had been (laughs) compared to what she was. (laughs) She was constantly cornering me and trying to vomit her craziness down my gullet. You know, like you see these egrets or these birds, like they cough up the food down. It was like that, except I, I was even more trapped than a bird in a nest, and my mother was vomiting her craziness into me. Right, so she'd sit there and tell me all about her dating life, and and all about what this guy said, and then she would share entirely inappropriate details about her history, which I don't even want to get into now because I don't like doing a show when I hurl up in my mouth a little bit. But <laughs> so I I spent my entire life as a child fighting back against an insanity that was trying to infect me. And my mother has logorrhea or, you know, just compulsive talking, won't shut up. And just I'd sit there cornered in my room while she'd just talk and talk and talk and talk. And all the stuff was nuts. And I was either going to get plowed under by that or I was going to fight the hell back against it. And so people don't know what that kind of training does to someone, that involuntary training. It's like if you swim against the current your whole swimming career, 
then you're going to win the race when you're mm. swimming in a pool. You're just going to win the race. I mean, so I, I just, my intellect and my rationality has been so sharpened by horrifying hyena claws of adversity for the first 15, 16 years of my life, and even then afterwards until I stopped seeing my mom completely. So I fight the irrationality of the world because I'm well-trained for it. Like, it's just, it, I was born and bred for it, you know, like Jackie Chan in the circus, like I'm just born and bred for that stuff. Mm-hmm. And and that's why when people kind of come in and try and tangle with me and it's like, you don't, I mean, you know, it's cute, but you don't, you don't have the experience, you don't know. You, you, you haven't been trained literally since birth for, for this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I, I work hard in the world and I work hard to bring reason, evidence and philosophy to the world. And I've thought to myself, is this a Simon the Boxer kind of thing? And it's like, no, if I am the strongest swimmer and someone's drowning out there, I got to go save them. I mean, that's like, I mean, you could say, well, you, you, you know, I'm not going to do it to the point where I drown, right? But I mean, I can do it. And there's not a lot of other people stepping up. And so it's the way that I turn the evils of my childhood into the good of the world. And uh, smart people, sensitive people understand that and get it. And the reason I'm saying all of this is that I couldn't do what I do if I also had to work really hard at my personal relationships. I don't. I don't work at my personal relationships. I don't work hard. It doesn't mean I don't have conversations with people if I think things are going astray or adrift, but we have reasonable conversations about stuff, and it's fine, mm-hmm. right? So just be lazy. It's the hardest thing for you to do. You know, it's the <laughs> hardest thing for you to do because you ha- it's like saying to somebody walking through the African jungle when there are like panthers and, and crap about, just saying, don't be alert, you know? Put, hey, you know what would be great? It would be great if you walked through that jungle with headphones on. And people are like, are you insane? Like, but but you're not in the jungle anymore. You're, you're in a relationship with your wife, which is great. So just be lazy. Be lazy. Stop working so hard in every aspect of your life. It's not good for you. It's going to burn you out. Hmm. And you're going to have less, fewer resources available for the important good work that you need to do in the world. You know, it could be personal in terms of being a good father, a good husband. It could be more societal. It could be whatever. So with regards to your dad, be lazy. See what he's bringing to the table. Because it's, it's kind of like this. Do you ever play tennis? I've never played tennis. All right. uh, so, only a couple times. But. It, 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 when I was a kid, I played a lot of tennis. And my mom's sometimes kind of manic. And we used to get up real early in the morning, like 5 o'clock in the morning. And we used to go and climb, literally climb over the high netting or the high fences around yeah. the um, the tennis court because we couldn't afford to pay for the tennis. So we'd get up real early and we'd go and play an hour and a half of tennis and then I'd go to school. And oh, it just struck me too that I was also into a lot of sports because I didn't want to go home, but that made my calorie requirements go up when I was hungry. Anyway, <laughs> but same. So yeah, so we used to... Uh, so occasionally I've been waiting to play tennis and I haven't played much tennis lately, but I played a lot in my youth. And what you do if you wanted to is you'd hit the ball kind of high and you'd run to the other side and see if you could hit it back. So you see if you could keep a game going with yourself, right? Mm-hmm. You're basically playing both sides. You can do the same thing if you want with table tennis, if you've got enough clearance overhead, right? So you hit the ball high, you run around the tennis court, you hit it back and it's you know, it's not super great, but it's kind of a fun way to kill time while you're waiting if someone's showing up late or if you've shown up early or something like that. 
Now, the reason I'm saying that is because you don't want that to be your relationship with someone where you're doing the work of two, mm -hmm. right? So you can hit the ball over and see what comes back. It means you place a call or you have a conversation. You say, this is my issue. Maybe a conversation about it. And then you see what the other person comes back with. Okay. So stop working both sides of the net. Hit the ball over and see if anything comes back. Be honest. Speak to people. But don't work both sides of it. That's the kind of workaholism that, I mean, just not that way with your wife, right? I mean, you enjoy her company. You don't sit there and say, wow, I've really got to fix this or there's always this problem or crisis or disaster or massive mismatch of values or whatever, right? It's like, that's not how it is with your wife, right? That's why you married her, right? Exactly. So in a way, your relationship with your wife is lazy. <laughs> and it should be because mm -hmm. life is going to be hard enough that you shouldn't also be facing another end front, end front battle at home with your wife. Mm -hmm. So with your dad, you know, my deep suspicion, could be wrong, hope I'm wrong, but my deep suspicion is he really doesn't, you don't show up for him emotionally at all. He doesn't care about you. Mm. Right? I mean, that's all the evidence that I've heard. Yeah. He didn't care about you enough to figure out what the hell you were doing on a computer at the age of five. He didn't care about you enough to notice when you first got molested. You, you, I mean, your parents' his job is to notice. Right? That's, it, it shouldn't wait until you're caught. Right? He didn't notice that you were being abused by your first stepmom. Uh, he didn't ask you whether you liked her enough for her to be the stepmom. He didn't ask you about the second or the third stepmom. He's choosing these women over you. Like, what evidence do you have that he gives a shit about you at all? Exactly. And so stop doing all the work. He's the father. He should be doing If there's any work to be done, he should be doing it. So if he's addicted to status, if he's addicted to sexuality, if he's addicted to terrible women who put out for him, that's wretched. And that's a sin. It's a great sin. It's a grave sin. Mm. should be no loyalty greater than your loyalty to your children because they're the people who are in your life who never chose to be, right? You didn't choose him as a dad. And so you, you should always have the greatest loyalty to your children because they're the only people in your life not there voluntarily. I mean, mm. even your parents are in your life and they chose to have children, but the children make no choices whatsoever. They're, they have the least choice in their entire world, and therefore they should be treated with the most kindness, the most compassion, and the most loyalty. I mean, my, I will always choose my daughter over anyone, anyone, because she never chose to be made. She never chose to be born. She certainly didn't choose me as a father. Mm -hmm. So my loyalty is to her. So yeah. be lazy. Just stop working so hard. What happens if you don't call your dad for a bit? What happens, right, if, if he has to take the initiative, if he has to figure things out? Give him the room and the scope to have a relationship with you. Now, when you were a kid, you didn't want to take that risk. Because it could have just snapped the entire illusion of a bond, right? But you're an adult now. You've got a wife. You're going to have your own family, I assume, some point relatively soon. And just be lazy. Stop working both sides of the net. See what other people are bringing to the table. Because you're not trained that way. But your future is in that direction. Because you cannot have continual sprinting like you just never get tired and have infinite resources. You're going to have your battles in your life, as you know. You need people who are easy in their relationships, who are positive in their relationships, where you don't keep having to work crazy 
amounts of concentration and hours just to keep things going. Like, don't have relationships in your life where you have to spend hours complaining or trying to analyze or figure them out with other people. Like, don't bother. Life is short. Our resources are precious. Save them for people who care about you. Honor those who care about you with genuine and deep reciprocity. But yeah, my rule is if I've spent more, if I spend more than an hour a week complaining about a relationship, mm, <laughs> it rapidly moves to the not so much pile. Interesting. Because I mean, how much time do you spend talking about your dad with your wife? How much time have you spent talking about him with me? And again, I'm not complaining about that. That's why we had the conversation. Mm-hmm. But it's not just the time that you spend. It's the time that it interferes with and eclipses the other relationships. Like bad relationships are like the moon in front of the sun. They, they darken everything around you. And you want your children when they grow up or as they grow up, you want your children to reject bad people and cleave their hearts to good people. So see what other people are bringing to the table. Be lazy. Let them, mm-hmm. let your dad do the work. It's his job, for one thing. And if he doesn't want that job, stop trying to draft him, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And see how you feel when you're not pouring all the resources in and running both sides of the net. How do you feel? Do you miss it? Do you, right? is, is it <laughs> I mean, do you, do you enjoy having other things to talk about? Bet you will. I feel a great relief, that's for sure, just not having to... Just as like just constantly working at something that I don't feel like is changing. Yeah. You said yeah. my effort being put in. Yeah, no, no. I mean, especially now you're an adult and you're married. Uh, you're going to be a father. I mean, just, yeah, you don't, you, don't, you don't have, you know, it's one thing when you're a kid because you're stuck there and you've got to find some way to make it work. And if that means you pedal like crazy while other people laze around and get pulled along, okay. But now you're an adult and you've got your own family, your own house, your own life. It is a repetition of childhood to think that somehow you must make things with your dad work. You don't have to make things with your dad work. You have to make things with your wife work, but you chose wisely. So that's going to happen anyway without work. Mm-hmm. So, no, that would be my suggestion. You know, you, it sounds like you put a lot of effort into talking to him about history, about the past and all that. And now cool your jets, enjoy your relationship with your wife and see how you feel when you're not running both sides of the net. Yeah, I, I think that is definitely the, the course of action I'm definitely going to be going towards because, again, as we've talked about, I think me just doing all I can, I've, I've worked the court as best I can. Now the ball's in his court. It's like, yeah, yeah. yeah maybe, play, you know, it's like that, that, old, that old book, like maybe he's just not that into you. Like, why doesn't he call? Why doesn't he return? <laughs> like, why does – maybe he's just not that into you. You know, it's the same thing with your dad. Yeah. You know, maybe – that sucks it's to just, think oh, it's, it's, it's that. terrible. Like, don't get me wrong. It's wrong. But you need to feel how wrong it is yeah. so that you can do a lot different, which I'm sure you will. But of no, course. it's like I try not to stalk people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, let's make this work. Let's make this. Fi- we got to fix this. We got we to gotta make this work. This got right. You know, I mean, I, I'm not. I'm just I'm just not going to stalk people. I'm going to you know, if they want to hang out with me. That's great. You know, I mean, if I enjoy it, wonderful. Then it's a done deal. Right. But no, I'm not going to chase people down and I'm not going to um, try and fix everything, even if they're inert. So like, no, 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 no. Life's, life's too short and energy is, is too precious. Of course, you have you have more things going on, especially that's what I've realized as an adult is just that I'm like as a kid, you have even if like even in my when I was poor, it's like at least I didn't I wasn't constantly working somewhere. I wasn't paying for 
bills and all this other stuff until I was obviously into my teenage years and I could get a job. But it's like now I'm just constantly I'm, me and my wife are always working. I'm always going to school because we're both going to college, and then I'm going to be a pilot. So I'm just I'm going to be gone quite frequently for that in the future. So it's just it's a constant constant battle as an adult, and my time is much better spent with my wife focusing on our relationship. We have a not to like brag or anything, but we have a really, really great relationship. We can speak honestly, openly with each other, our insecurities, our, our problems and logically too, not just like emotionally about problems that are going on. We just sit each other down and just talk through it. We have arguments, we have disagreements. Everyone does, but we are, it's just like you said, it's just, it's a lazy relationship. Yeah. yeah, in that regard. yeah there's tons of work out there outside the household in, ha- in the household should be fun and, and lazy and easy. Yeah. All right. Will you? Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to mention? Has it been a good conversation for you? Helpful, useful? This has been an incredible conversation, Steph. And again, I'm I'm beyond ecstatic and grateful that you you took my call, and you taking so much time out of your day to speak. It's not to, out of to my me. day. This is my day. Work <laughs> <Exactly like> on <laughs> philosophy. So no, listen. I appreciate your persistence, and and I hope that you let me know. Uh, how it goes and um i really appreciate your honesty and, and frankness in this call it's uh it's a, it's a great gift to the world will do thank you so much Steph. thanks man take care you too bye-bye